Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. from Castle Rock. Welcome, constant listeners. It is time for the Losers Club, uh, our residency in Castle Rock. I think that's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about Hulu's new TV show, Castle Rock, which is an anthology series that isn't a pure adaptation of Stephen King, but is rather a series that is inspired by his works, but an original story. And it's one that we, if you are a constant listener, have been very excited about. We've, we've been talking a lot about it, and we've got a lot of uh, thoughts on these episodes. We've been sitting on them for a while. We got the episodes probably a month ago. Yeah, we're we're pros at this point. I've seen it so many times that uh, I go to bed thinking about Castle Rock. Well, we got the first four episodes, and we're here to talk about the first three, because that's Mm -hmm. what you all have seen. And um, we also just want to clarify that the reason we're kind of focusing on Castle Rock is not just because we're excited about the series, but we also want to give you guys time to read Stephen King's It, which is the next book on our docket. We're going to be kicking off those episodes uh, in September, yeah? Yeah, September. Or is it late August? It's a little bit uh, past the summertime. Let's so. just say that, uh, you know, the fall season will be ringing in, which seems appropriate for Pennywise. And Pennywise so too. we're going to be dedicating four episodes, uh, I believe, to it. So, you know, get reading. It's a long book. Let's exactly what we're doing right now i haven't started (laughs) i've even started by this point i'm 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 ready for that first episode i'm I'm done with that portion of the book oh are you really yeah so uh, i'm gonna pat myself on the back and uh ward off that nickel stupid well guess what (laughs) nickel stupid called me up last night and said uh since you read the book so recently i want to give you some uh slack so. Mm, I don't think you should be no, taking I advice think, from Nickel uh, yeah. Stupid. I That's think true. Nickel Stupid doesn't know anything. He also, really Nickel Stupid much. is far too stupid to be able to use a telephone. Yeah. So. He probably yeah. dowed you on like his hand. Yeah. His hand? Okay. Yeah. Well, he actually was, uh, you know, he was hanging out next to my computer. <laughs> so. He's All like, right. He's like, he's like, you're going to use this later? So um, who was that that called Nick, that Nickel Stupid called who was sitting across from me? This is Michael Melanie Linsky Rothman. That's a good one. Ooh. That's a good one. Who's sitting next to me? Uh, this is Mackenzie Deaver Gerber. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm so ready to chat about Castle Rock. This is uh, Randall. Rockin' Randall. Oh. oh Scott wow. Glenn Colburn. <laughs> I love this, this utter laziness <laughs> with the names. Ridiculous. So, ridiculous. So uh, we want to also just, this is our first Castle Rock episode. Uh, since we're not going to be doing traditional Needful Tweets episodes over the next several weeks, we're going to be folding in some news stories into these episodes um, that we talk about Castle Rock. We'll probably kick off with just a little bit of Stephen King news. Um, since we have three episodes today, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, mainly because there's not a lot of news. But there was one big piece of news that dropped, and that was that Stephen King's From a Buick 8, a novel that came out around 2001, probably, 2002, somewhere around there. It's, a, it's an early aughts book. Yeah, it's an early aughts book, and it's pretty solid. And it's also Dark Tower connected, so definitely one you might want to read. Um, that book is being adapted by Hyde Park Entertainment Option The Rights, and currently 
William Brent Bell is going to write the script and direct it. Now, that name sounds familiar. What else do we know that he's done? Well, he did The Boy. Which is a movie. That was a movie about a doll that, well, a woman is brought over to, well, she goes to England. She takes a nannying job. Mm -hmm. And she thinks she's going to be taking care of a child. Instead, she's taking care of a doll. It is, but the family treats it like it's a real thing. It is a very, very cool premise. That movie is not good. (sighs) Isn't and, that based on a true story? Uh, if it is, I like, want to like, know. I mean, a true like legend, I guess. I thought I heard that on lore. Once. I mean, I would probably find that true story more compelling. Yeah, it is a great story. I, it's not a horrible movie. It's just it's it's such mainstream like uh, template by the numbers horror that kind of takes a really cool premise and really kind of spoils it by just you know hitting all the beats it's a little too clean Mm. um the characters are a little too uh you know just they're just really basic archetypes that never really transcend themselves and the horror just really isn't there there's a couple cool moments i mean dolls are just inherently freaky so there's a couple cool moments with the doll but i can't say that i watched that movie and thought wow this director this writer really blew me away so you didn't think when you were watching it like i really hope i could see his vision for from a view okay no, and I mean... Probably mostly because you didn't know at the time when you were watching it. Well, that's, that <laughs> is true, Mac. That I mean, that's true. the thing, though, is like, hey, man, let me just say that I feel like I wouldn't have watched Fault from Our Stars and thought, oh, I really want to see what Josh Boone does with Actually, the Actually, I did. I did. Well, I'll just... I, but I'm saying that not because I don't think Fault in Our Stars is a good movie. It's just like, it's not... It doesn't make me excited to see his King adaptation. What makes me excited to be his King ad, see his King adaptation is... The fact that Josh Boone has proven himself behind the scenes to clearly be a massive fan of King. And um, as I wrote in a recent piece that was on the outline, which you guys should read, you should dig it up. It's uh, I wrote about the um, sort of the new movement of filmmakers who are making King and how sort of their childhood love for King is um, giving them a certain reverence for the material that I think is resulting in some great King adaptations and why we're in such kind of a, a vibrant King renaissance right now. And so that's the thing. It's is, a great piece. Thank you. Yeah. And so, but, you know, I look at James Vanderbilt. That's an, another guy who I'm like, well, I did before, like, I'm like, this guy wrote Amazing Spider-Man 2. I don't want to see his version also, of The Long Walk. But he, also wrote, he also wrote The Zodiac, though. Yeah, but... I'll, not The Zodiac, but I, Zodiac. I know, but I'll just say that it's like... Yeah, he wrote Zodiac, which is great. But I'll also say, though, it's hearing him talk about the project mm. and the fact that he wrote it, him, like, you know, on spec with nothing else. Like, that kind of passion is what excites me. So maybe yeah. this... The guy who directed The Boy, maybe, like, this is where his real passion is, is in directing from a Buick 8. And if that's true, then I'm all for it. But uh, from a Buick 8, I, I was saying this in our in our com- common thread last night. I... Uh, I don't know if that movie needs a film adaptation. It's it's not a movie that I think necessarily lends itself to movie adaptation. Okay, because mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, was there a movie that you saw earlier this year where you thought they would, this guy could do a Buick 8 really well? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'll just say I should. I just want Jeremy Saulnier to direct everything. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I was Me hoping too. that I was hoping that Josh Boone was going to do this one also. Uh, <laughs> oh well, it, yeah, but, but then it would ha- just be stuck in development. Exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, I I will say that, you know, Josh Boone is still attached to Revival, which is a book that I thought he should do when I was watching uh, The Fault in Our Stars in 2014, despite the fact that the movie came out six months before the book. Uh, But no, no, no. I'm I'm really excited to see if we could finally get a Josh Boone adaptation. Like we talked last week, he's He's uh, working working hard in the stand. Yeah. 
With, Which uh, is, I, th- I I don't know, I'd rather see his revival first and be like... I do too. Prove this to me and then do The Stand. Yeah, The Stand's <laughs> a big project. Yeah, yeah but The Stand's going to be on CBS. So it's going to be great. CBS All Access. We'll see how it goes. Well, hey, Ansel Elgort, the baby driver himself, he's in uh, The Fault in Our Stars, and I'm hoping that, okay. you know, Josh I was going to say, do you call. have any real news here? <laughs> or no, there's this no news. speculation. <laughs> this is all speculation. I want Ansel Elgort to be in The Stand. I don't know who I want him to play. Maybe Larry. Play, have him Larry Underwood. I don't want him as Larry. No one too, I want Justin Bieber he's as Larry. Too young. I think he'd be a good Nick. He could, he could be, be a good. Nick. Actually, he would be a great Nick. He has a tinnitus and Baby Driver. It would actually, he probably could do Nick Andrews really well. Uh, anyways. Anyway. There's in other King news. You're probably reading a lot of Castle Rock reviews, which you don't need to do because you're getting the definitive Castle Rock review this from the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and. One last thing before we begin our coverage of Castle Rock is that in a few days, our inaugural Greetings from Castle Rock Film Festival kicks off at Chicago's Music Box Theater. This is uh, our last chance on air to warn you that it is coming and to buy tickets because it is going to be really exciting. We're going to be doing a live podcast recording on Saturday, July 28th at 5 p.m. We're going to have a couple great guests for that, including... Uh, Evan Weiss of the band Pet Symmetry, who obviously took their name from a Stephen King story and even recently covered the Ramones uh, Pet Cemetery song. They're an excellent band. You may also know the leads of uh, Evan from the band Into It Over It, which is another very popular uh, emo rock band. And we're also going to have uh, Bill Hansen, who directed a sh- uh, Stephen King Dollar Baby of Survivor Type. That which we'll has, be screening. Yeah, which we're going to be screening at the festival. And it's played at other festivals and done really well. And I mean, Survivor Type, that is the kind of story that (laughs) is going to be a tough watch, but one you probably want to see. So it's going to be cool. We're going to have them on stage with us. And then we're also going to be showing, in addition to Survivor Type, we're going to be showing uh, on Friday, July 27th, Stand By Me, uh, Cujo, and Creepshow, in that order, starting Mm -hmm. at 7 p.m. And on Saturday, we're going to be showing The Shawshank Redemption, The Dead Zone, uh, the Mist, the Mist, black and white, in black and white. Oh yeah, and then oh, yeah. um, Needful Things Needful at nine thirty, and at Midnight Pet Cemetery, yeah. and it's going to be so 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 fun. And we're going to have you know a lot of other fun uh, things. We're going to have some merch for sale, some posters that are that features sort of the artwork for the festival, which is incredible. We're going to have some T-shirts. We're going to have some bookmarks because y'all need those because physical media still matters. And we got those bookmarks today, and they look fantastic. Yeah, they look really cool it's awesome sharp so uh so anyways and also you can just come hang out with us we want to we want to we want to meet you all we want to be friends with you we want to follow you home no you no we don't yeah we do no we don't like i need somewhere to go (laughs) you live like next door to the music box uh so well you can come home with me uh, all right (laughs) so anyways um thank you guys for listening and now greetings from castle rock there's a place where lovers go to cry their troubles away, and they call it people say lonesome town. Every inch of this town where the broken heart stays is stained with someone's sin. thought the devil was just a metaphor. God help me, I did. I'm telling you, there's something wrong with that kid. 
have no idea what's happening here, do you? I can learn to forget. Okay, so Mike, you have a little bit of background on the production of the series. Just before we jump into our review, you have some quotes from J.J. Abrams, who produced this uh, series. And uh, what does he say? What can, how can you usher us into this conversation? Well, it was up to him to get the approval of Stephen King. And uh, he wasn't sure that he was going to get him, which is kind of funny. That's cons- surprising to me, because having already obtained the rights to the Dark Tower at one point, yeah. you think that they would have already had, or at least he would have already known that he was clearly a fan of his work. He says in the Entertainment Weekly profile, he was like, I wasn't sure, I wasn't certain that he would want it. And I wasn't sure what his reaction would be. Although... I think mainly because this isn't, this is not an adaptation of his book. It's, yeah. It really is, like you were saying, an original story, taking that idea and moving forward with it without his input, yeah. right? I mean, he's not really... He's just producing on this thing, right? And that's got to be kind of wild for King. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like this has really happened. I mean, he's had people like Lawnmower Man or something like, we're going to take your property, but we're just going to create something else entirely. But this obviously is totally different where it's like, no, we love some of these ideas you presented and we want to elaborate on your myths. We don't want to create something whole cloth. We want to build on the myths that you've created. And I think that that's cool, but it's got to be kind of freaky for Stephen King because he's like, he's like, I don't know, man, they could take my story away from me. Well, it's the seat of sam shaw and dustin thomason so it's not jj abrams idea right he shepherded this and abrams says like when you first heard the pitch it was immediately something that he wanted to see yeah you know and it's something that that was something that like justin our fellow co-host he had been stressing for years i think i remember when we were at a bar yeah i remember when when we first heard about this yeah and it was like a teaser had dropped and he came in he just texted us with like Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And he stressed us that this is something that he had been wanting for years and yeah. years and years. And this idea that. Well, it's so ripe with story. I yeah. mean, and, and so much time has passed that there's so much, there's so much to do with it at this point, you know, if you are going to take that story forward. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, say that you're not tarnishing what's come before because it's so distanced that 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 is all still intact and there and and great and you, it's there to, to visit you know what i mean yeah and i feel like it's so endemic of where we are as a like in pop culture right now because ip is everything these days and it is like i feel like and this is something i've talked about on the pod before and it's something i'm i'm weirdly passionate about it's i feel like you know we bemoan this idea of the lack of original ideas mm-hmm. in hollywood right now which i do think is valid totally. but at the same time like we're, what we're seeing are creators who are trying to create, who are using the idea that we need IP to tell original stories. Like they're pivoting off of that. They're taking uh, IP and then being like, well, what can I do where I'm not just rehashing a story? Like if I'm like, you know, you look at like the Carrie remake from uh, 2012 or 2013, which is such garbage. It's garbage. It's like, and it's like, Okay, so that's an example of taking an existing property and just remaking it for no reason that has uh, and with no new resonance, nothing new that matters, nothing that that furthers the story or furthers the myth or builds upon the original. So it's like, what can we do? How can we tell original like remakes can be good, but it's really hard. And I think what we've seen is the transcendence of remakes. It's like, let's take IP like with Fargo, let's take a setting, let's take an atmosphere, and let's take like the Cohen's signature style, and let's tell new stories yeah. using those vessels. Agreed. Yeah. And that's kind of what I think Castle Rock is also 
a great symbol of is the ways that we're moving forward as a culture and finding creative ways to use IP. Yeah. So, well, it's just, yeah. it's so different too, because like with Fargo, you can go to that source material just by clicking on Netflix and mm-hmm. just seeing the original film and it'll take you a couple hours. Whereas this, there's so much research to do, mm-hmm. you know? And like, you know, when you were saying like, and it the, is like a fertile ground for this stuff, it totally right. is. I but mean, like we were saying, you don't need to know, no. any of that stuff to enjoy this movie no. you know it, it's fun and they, there's definitely little easter eggs and we're going to go into king's dominion of course but you don't need to know any of that no. stuff to enjoy this for what it is and it truly it's, it's an original story and i mean it's not like in episode four we have you know cujo showing up and he's like running the town's drug ring or something you know what I mean? <laughs> running the town's <laughs> take, drug well, ring i'm just saying they're not taking old yeah. characters and like like where we where we left off with the ghost of so and so and now like ruining like oh but they were doing this the whole time no it's like i mean there's minor characters like obviously like pangborn but but that's a character whose story was never resolved yeah in and, the in the universe and so right. whereas like i love that you used the cooge example just because like i know exactly what you're saying but it was just very funny for you to be like cujo's running a drug ring i just, you know, love cooge we all love cooge and um well i think it's interesting because like in the same interview with like with abrams he talks about this very idea that you know what one of King's strengths is that, you know, at his core, his stories are about people that you desperately care about who just happen to be in these like horrifying situations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't, they're, you know, they don't have to be horrific per se or in the horror genre, but they happen to be, you know, out of this world per se. You know, like Shawshank isn't a horror story. The body isn't a horror story, mm-hmm. but they are very like fringe type stories, like very like, well, that's kind of bizarre. The stuff that's happening yeah. there, there is some sort of tall tale element to yeah. it that fits into like old school American folklore, which honestly, like this was what it kind of feels like. Castle Rock kind of feels that way. But well, and you mentioned this whole idea, like you mentioned earlier, the the idea of character being forward yeah and what i really love about this series is that it is character forward totally because we're here to talk about the first three episodes and the first two episodes we were saying really feel of a piece like Mm -hmm. one long episode Mm -hmm. whereas the third episode it's still telling the same story but it pivots and we're focusing on another person and that's the thing though is i feel like of the first three episodes we do have three different characters situated at the forefront of each we have uh henry deaver at the very at the forefront of the first episode Mm -hmm. we're learning who this character is we see a traumatic event from his childhood we see him as an adult summoned back to castle rock uh through mysterious circumstances we'll get into and then in episode two well we also see uh the shawshank warden kill himself yeah whereas in the second episode which um traffics in a lot of uh backstory in the past it's focused a lot on terry o'quinn's character which is what's his name dale lacy dale lacy we're focused on him and then in episode three we pivot to this character we've seen in the previous two episodes Melanie uh, Lewinsky's Molly, uh, Molly Strand, who, and I love that because these, and what the show is doing is drawing the strings between all of these different characters and allowing us to explore the world and learn of the narrative and of the plot through those characters. And doesn't that sound familiar? I know, right? And that sounds exa- like a Stephen King book, right? Because yeah. we, his books always, almost always begin with us, uh, hop, not uh, the more ensemble pieces, which I think this is of a note with all, and all the Castle Rock stories. It's like, um, we jump around to different perspectives. Mm-hmm. We see, it's like this chapter begins and we're like, okay, we're in the head of this person now. Yeah. And let's learn this about the town and see how they know the other people that were already meeting so that's i think just structurally 
that's a great way into the show and a really great way to look at the ways that this show is really honoring King's own kind of structure. Yeah. And I just think like tonally, the color palette on the show feels mm-hmm. very King. Yeah. It feels a little bit dreary, but there's also a lot of like, it's like the color comes from the people, mm-hmm. whereas the town itself has a dreary, cloudy kind of quality. Yeah. And yeah. And so, Mike, why don't you kind of usher us in? What is like, let's talk about the opening sequence of the first episode, because it feels like there's a mystery there that we're not probably going to find out the real answer to until the end of this season. But it seems sort of like the best way in. Well, something weird is going on in Castle Rock. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Whoa. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. No, no, Thanks but... Uh, gripping w- insight. <laughs> well, we start the story in the early 90s. That's right. And we're following a young Sheriff Alan Pangborn. And we understand and recognize this Pangborn because this is the Pangborn that is most, you know, that's closely associated to the stories that we're familiar with, which is kind of a genius, you know, entryway yeah. into this series. And he's just hanging out uh, by uh, Castle Lake and just uh, enjoying a nice winter day. And uh, you don't really know exactly what he's looking for, but you know he's looking for something because he's kind of digging through the snow. Mm-hmm. And he hears a strange sound a strange come across sound. the lake. And there just happens to be a young boy in the middle. And he screams for Henry and runs for him. And then... Boom. Castle Rock. But basically, the conceit is that there is a discovery... Mm-hmm. In Shawshank Prison. Yeah. Well, I think that first we should note that we mentioned that Warden Dale Lacey kills himself in sort of a very gratuitous, uh, gross fashion. He is off. It's his last day. He's he, he's on his way out. I mean, because he has a lot of severance, and there's a lot. That's why a lot of people are like, "Why would he kill himself? Why?" You know, yeah. It doesn't, mm-hmm. And I'm glad you said that because the title of the episode is Severance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, but he drives his car off of a cliff. Um, and ties a rope around his neck so it decapitates him. And it's a great sequence, and a dog watches him do it, and it's not uh, you Cujo. Know, I love that scene because that dog kind of shambles over to take a turn from King, and he looks at it kind of the seed of a smile, and you think, oh, you know, maybe, maybe he's not going to do it. And then he just <laughs> presses on that pedal and goes right over that. And I just thought that was just so, it was just so well done. Yeah. And I, I, I screamed at the TV when yeah. it happened because I didn't want Terry O'Quinn to be gone because <laughs> I love him. It was shocking um, because but you know it, it. It's also going to be one of those shows, uh, as we as we know that there there are some flashbacks and things, so we do get some more more Terry. Oh yeah. So I was happy to, happy to see that, and I'm totally fine with that because I think that really works in the way that they're doing this. So because he died, and they have a sort of a new warden coming in, um, an area of the prison that was previously. Called closed down um, is explored by some of the guards, one of whom we get to know a little bit and who ends up sort of being the leak uh, that sort of uh, brings Henry there later. But we find a cage that's like buried in the bowels of the prison. And inside the cage is Bill Skarsgård, Pennywise himself, who is playing a... <laughs> not a, Pennywise. It's not Pennywise. <laughs> it's not Pennywise. <laughs> it's Pennywise. Although, How we don't know. How creepy would that be? But he's the kid. He's you the mean kid. from the stand? Well, he's not the kid from the stand, but he is he, the yeah, kid. Yeah, he does not... 
Uh, he's not titled anything quite yet. So, but so they find him, but he won't say anything. The only thing he does say is the name of Henry Deaver, and that's who he asked for. And they know that Henry Deaver was a kid from town, but he's gone. He's working as a lawyer in Texas, I believe. And it's that kind of rogue prison guard that calls him and tells him that he's being asked for, even though the new warden wants to keep it quiet. And I love that rogue prison guard, Noel Fisher. Yeah, great actor. He's yeah. great. I first saw him on The Riches on FX. Oh, and the character watch that. Izzard. What's the character's name? Zaleski. <laughs> Zaleski, like Ray Zelensky from Tommy Boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Come to Otto Zelensky. <laughs> how long? How long? What? What's the time marker there before we brought Tommy Boy? <laughs> hey, we already did again. some black sheep oh, references boy. earlier on, also. So you're missing um, out. So Dennis Zaleski. Dennis Zaleski. So Dennis Zaluski. So, it's it's a you know. So he brings Henry back out to Castle Rock, where he hasn't been for years. And we see that he was living with Sissy Spacek's character, who is living on another planet. (laughs) And she's also living with the former sheriff, Alan Pangborn, the guy we saw in the opening, but is now an old grizzled man played by old grizzled Scott Glenn. Love Glenn. And their relationship is kind of vague and strange. strained. And, uh, And Henry, you know has a tough time talking to his mom and it's not his, it's his adopted mother. We don't know who his real parents are. And we learned that his father around the time that he disappeared also died, but we don't know all the answers. A lot of weird stuff went down. Isn't it kind of interesting that like (laughs) Abram seems so obsessed with having these like hidden parents. Yeah. You know, he's doing it with star Wars. Well, I feel like daddy issues, daddy issues and stuff is always, it's like in every major franchise or long story that and i get that it's like that's a huge thing that shapes people but i think it also just speaks to you know our collective nation's uh parent issues <laughs> Could be, yeah there's a lot of family dynamics going on in this and i i think that speaks a lot to the story in terms of stephen king stories i think there, there's always there's always a really strong something going on with family yeah and oh, totally. I, I and that fact that it's tapping into that like immediately is really great. I, this show, and I'm jumping ahead of the game, but this show is giving me hope for like, uh, oh, I could see them doing like a Salem's Lot show. Yeah. Like this town is is being really fleshed out in a way that is just very satisfying. And I know it's early yet, but so well, far so good. Oh, and that was like JJ's intent. In this interview, he talks about how this was never going to work if we couldn't sell the town, which included them finding the right location uh, which uh, apparently they were scouting for a while, and they ultimately landed on Orange, Massachusetts. <laughs> orange. Orange is not is a strange name because it is anything but orange. Well, this is uh, not Orange is the New Black, so it should be called Gray, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Was it Massachusetts? It's Massachusetts. So I'll just say that it's close enough. It's I'll, not Maine, <laughs> but it's close enough. We'll, we'll go with that. I'll say this though, Mac. Like what you're saying about sort of building out the town they do a nice job of of creating sort of the larger... Because, like, when Henry walks through it, everyone stares at him. And yeah. we see these different, you know, residents. And there is something that is clearly... And this is something that was played up in the trailers, is that there's something wrong with the town, mm-hmm. you know? It's like... And this is something that I think we learned from King's books about Castle Rock, is that there's no one entity who has made Castle Rock... Um, susceptible it's not like it like dairy it is all very much chalked up to pennywise's mm-hmm. you know like 
that the presence that is Pennywise is the reason that town is fucked up. Yeah. In Castle Rock, it's something more nefarious. It's something in the soil. And that's something that was really played up during the trailers with Terry O'Quinn's voiceover. And so clearly it's, and you know, just like in how in, in it, we see, you know, the adults ignoring all the children, like when things, bad yeah. things are happening. Yeah. There's a similar sense of um, the town seems to have an innate sense of uh, fear and distrust towards somebody like Henry, who is clearly special, but we don't know why yet. Yeah. And, you know, they acknowledge that Castle Rock has actually been removed from the map as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they've I guess they succeeded. Uh, is that what they, 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 they basically oh, mentioned yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that they, they, they basically like took themselves out. <laughs> of you know the i guess the map or something like that they, sure. they, they seated themselves or whatever from the union yeah. the the union like the, this, union. the civil war <laughs> seated from the union but no but they but yeah, which is they, which they, adds to this off, idea. it's off the it's off the, the the grid yeah which is interesting i mean i don't know how that's going to play in the long run of but things it's great also you know like you were saying when he walks around the town um everyone knows who he is yeah and he's been gone for how long it's like this town no one has left. Everyone's still living in the past. Well, let's talk about where he was, too. So, you know, Henry Deaver, he's a death row attorney. He was down in Texas. And the place there he goes to, I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I've seen a lot of dreadful television. And we've all seen Oz. But <laughs> there is just that that whole sequence between his client. Yeah. And they talk about the the concept of like, well, when we die, do what, what happens to us? What makes us us? Does that stay with us? And then she's basically is like, I hope it, it doesn't because I don't want to be myself. And there's this subtle parallel yeah. to what Henry's maybe going through himself. Yeah. Uh, you get this kind of sense of self-hatred almost or self-loathing yeah. with him. And I don't know. I mean, there's a there's been a lot of, you know, like I said, I've watched a lot of really dark television, but that is like one of the most nihilistic scenes I think I've seen since maybe like the Russ Cole of like (laughs) True Detective. Like it was just so like, oh, my God, what a weird way to set the show. Well, how about that strange scene when he follows the kid holding the chicken who holds it for the alligator? That scene to me was like such an eerie, Mm -hmm. um, quiet, strange scene that was clearly so symbolic but in ways that i'm not fully grasped yet and i I'm haven't like, either but i know that it'll sit with me mm-hmm. as i watch and i feel like it'll slowly make sense well it made me think about concepts of like reincarnation okay and i don't know why yeah uh, maybe it's because they were just talking about the idea of coming back as something else uh or maybe it's just talking about the merciless nature of mm-hmm. nature <laughs> just how merciless our world is yeah and doesn't she talk to him and say that she used to live like an alligator farm yeah and, no that, that yeah it, yeah 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 and it's it's like seeing it's like trying to be close to someone after they go after they leave and mm-hmm. trying to make the connections that they did but you're you just can't. not you just can't yeah I, I, again this is it's very layered it's not you yeah. know on the it's not just on the surface here. Um, it's an interesting shot, and I but I do agree with that idea that I maybe he is trying to find some sort of connectivity there, and he just it's like the it's like kind of like what she says the way that she her point of view towards things yeah is like gone when, you, now. when you're gone do you just disappear and are you just totally rebooted yeah but I think it also points to this idea that he's alienated even in there like yeah, he's alienated yeah. from the people around him. And just like he is in Castle Rock. In Castle mm-hmm. Rock, he's very much singled out. Yeah. And I think that's why it's powerful that they cast um, a person of color in that role, because I think it speaks to, you know, it can also have that double layer of being a person of color in a small yeah. northeastern, like New England town. Totally. That's primarily white. And so, um, so anyways, we, 
the the warden lies to him when he says that he was told that somebody was asking for him. They're trying to keep Bill Skarsgård's character under wraps because they're like, we have no record of this person. We have no idea where this person came from. They literally, they won't tell us who they are and we, we have no files on them or anything. So they're just trying to keep it quiet because they see a scandal. And uh, but the prison guard Zaleski, he uh, by the second episode, he he kind of helps uh, Henry get into the prison where he takes yeah. like a tour, right, like something like that. And then yeah. he sees he, Bill Skarsgård across the across the way and knows that it's him. And then um, basically, it's like I'll represent you. And well, he becomes part right, of he, he becomes the, the, the church, church to get in. And oh yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. Is, I forgot about the church because there was and, no other way. But he so he volunteers with the pastor and, and they go. Go in, and he, that's when he gets his chance to see. And that's uh, Aaron Staten from Mad Men, who is that's playing right. the the church guy. Which right. I did not. Mike told me it was it was Ken from Mad Men, and I did not believe him because he was missing his eye patch, and he, <laughs> yeah. his hair wasn't slicked up like it yeah, was. And yeah. it literally, I literally told him, I go, I think that guy just looks like him, and then I realized <laughs> it was actually him. But oh, um, burn. <laughs> no, they're both very handsome. No, uh, well, they're both the two fictional people I had in my head. Yeah. But uh, but so, and that's kind of, and then with Henry's story, we don't see a lot of him in the third episode because we're mainly following Molly's character. But we do know that Molly and Henry, when they were children, had sort of a very strong connection. And yeah. that she, she has, has a psychic connection. Molly she has a psychic does, connection, yeah. yeah. And is was a very strange child, a very strange adult too, but... She's medicated as an adult to tamp down sort of the psychic uh, impulses that she has. And and I think what's really great is that the first two episodes, like we were saying, are are kind of like one entity like that. I think that's maybe originally the pilot. But I think that the reason they're releasing all three is because obviously this show is not just going to follow Deaver point of view. He's the backbone. uh, Yeah, but we get this slice of life from Molly and we also get something that's super intrinsically t- tied to Stephen King, which is someone with, tele- with telepathy. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is just it, it really sets the tone. Well, I for, mean, for the rest, of, but like I think there's a lot of eeriness and strange things going on in the first couple episodes, but that the double down with that, it's like okay, not it's not just creepy. Like there's a lot of weird science fiction kind of stuff going well, on. Well, there's time. also there's also the whole lost element that there. Other worlds at play here, and that there are things that are happening that are fighting against each other that we don't know yet, and mm-hmm. we kind of have an idea because of how the past is going to inform the present and so on. So, by the first two episodes, as we mentioned in the first episode's titled Severance, the second episode's titled Habeas Corpus, they do act as like a unit in the sense that by the end of Habeas Corpus, the second episode you really do get kind of a full-on mission statement for where this could go. Yeah. We have an idea of some of the forces that are at play. Now, you know, obviously we had mentioned that there's a big discovery. You find Bill Skarsgård at the prison. Uh, we have a, by the end of the second episode, we get the idea that he's not good news. No. Which is kind of funny yeah. because he's going to be represented by the protagonist, yeah. which is Henry Deaver who believes that this boy is, you know, being subjugated to all these sorts of horrors by the Shawshank prison, who, you know, by all intents and purposes, is corrupt. Yeah. So it's interesting how there's like all these kind of levels of of deceit and corruption that are basically moving things in a way that is not going to be good for Castle Rock. Yeah. Uh, and the one person that uh, that we find out that, may be able to make some change or do something about it is the one person we thought all along, Sheriff Alan Pingborn, 
Scott Glenn, yeah. who at the end of the second episode is the one that was reading everything that Terry O'Quinn narrates in that mm-hmm. second episode. Yeah. So you do get the sense that Pangborn is conceivably the good guy in this town and that whatever Bill Skarsgård is supposed to represent may very well be the seed of evil for lack of a better term or whatever we want to call it. Right. Because I was worried when I was seeing trailers for this, that Bill Skarsgård was going to be sort of a Casper the friendly ghost character. (laughs) Somebody who is like, um, you know, clearly a spirit, but like, you know, the whole ghost who needs help closing, like closing their story oh God, before they can go to heaven. Mind if that was the case. I know, and I get worried because he seemed kind of he was like he was like simple ghost, mm-hmm. you know, like a doe eyed ghost. Yeah, and and so so during the second episode, I when we find out that Terry Quinn has he feels like he's been called to do this, that he has locked this kid in this mm-hmm. cellar of Shawshank, which has been like considerably long time. Yeah, seemingly. But I, but, but he that, has the hair. idea that when he asks, <laughs> but when he, but well, later on when he asks uh, Henry, I think it's in, in episode three about uh, how how old he is. Yeah. So he's like, what is going on with this character? Like we don't know. Like maybe he's out of time somehow. Yeah. But I like the idea that he he thinks he's just pure evil and that he needs to be locked up in this cage. And what it reminded me of is this Twilight Zone episode called The Howling Man. Yes. Yeah. Where the this man stumbles into this castle and it's raining, mm-hmm. it's storming, and in staying, he meets this guy who basically looks like Moses. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of ludicrous, but he basically finds a man that's locked up in a room and there's a, there's a, there's like a cane on the door, like latching it shut. And that's all. And he's like, he keeps telling him he needs to free him, he needs to free him. This, the, the guy that's holding him there is insane and he's keeping him there. And you find it over the course of the episode that. The, the the Moses character says, you know, like, that's not a man in there. That's the devil. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, towards, you know, at the end, he actually lets him out. And then you realize it is the devil. Yeah. And, then, and he's escaped. And then he spends the rest of his life trying to get him. Great episode. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch that episode. But and there's the twist. It, that's uh, what no. it definitely reminded me of. But regardless, even if that's not what's going on, it's great that it did. Because now... I'm going to be like totally duped if that's not what's really going on. You know what I mean? Right. It's great to throw the seeds of stuff like that in there for horror fans, I think, because now we just don't know, but I love the idea of it. And also reminded me of frailty. Yeah, totally. of Frailty for sure. I, but it didn't make me, now that you mentioned it though, he might not be Casper the friendly ghost, but I do wonder if he is Casper, the, uh, demonic ghost. Uh, (laughs) Well, I'll just say that where, (laughs) where we're at with the information we have right now, I love the idea that he is a vessel of pure evil that is in this unassuming body. And that to me is very exciting. Of course, we could be proven wrong on that front and that could be Uh a really great misdirection bit too. But so where are we left at the end of episode three? We see the first meeting, uh, like we're really face to face meeting with Henry and Bill Skarsgård, where he basically says, this is going to be the easiest case. Mm -hmm. We're going to, own this county by the end of it and then yeah. and henry's more than happy to be like then i'm just gonna leave because i don't want to be here yeah and he doesn't give a shit about shutting down castle rock because clearly and that like that seems very revealing to me because he seems so happy just like oh yeah you can make shawshank your boat garage yeah like he 
Henry clearly hates this town. Yeah. And that's very interesting to me. And that's sort of where we leave them. So let's kind of just, before we move on to discuss character, let's talk a little bit about what we learn from Molly Strand's plot. So we, because we discussed briefly the idea that she was friends with Henry as a mm-hmm. child. And she had a great upbringing. Jeez. <laughs> oh, but she was, you know, clearly... She Very, listened to a lot of The Cure growing up, which actually, no, that's actually true because she listens to a lot of New Wave and yeah, sort I was gonna of say, 80s what other college posters rock. did she have on there? She looked like someone that I probably would have uh, given a Valentine to <laughs> when I was growing up. Uh, well, definitely. <laughs> but then I think the big wild piece of news that we learn is that she goes into Henry's house and his father is on life support or whatever, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. inside the house, mm-hmm. and she kills she him. She kills him. Which is a wild and like an insane thing. But that haunts her because yeah. we see at the end of the episode that the spirit or whatever, like the the image of uh, Henry's uh, preacher dad is like kind of still haunting her. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, let's just say that Molly Strand is uh, probably the craziest real estate broker <laughs> In the history of the real estate business. But honestly, Mike, you need someone that crazy to sell houses in Castle Rock. You do. You know, obviously she has a psychic connection with things. She has a very strong psychic connection with Henry where she feels his feelings. Yep. So. That's right. And then, and clearly that freaked the shit out of Henry when he was young. And it's something that freaks the hell out of her too because she takes drugs to basically nullify that and when she doesn't have drugs because her contact was basically uh like hey i don't have anything right now she starts to hear a lot of voices becomes very overwhelmed and it kind of drives her to um very aggressive behavior because we see when she's on that talk show she basically calls out the town's corruption in a very shocking way which obviously won't be good for business Uh, i love the name of that local color which is also the name of the episode yes Uh, so it's interesting too because uh she maybe it's a common on the mental health in this country, but she has to get her drugs from uh, nefarious drug dealers around town. <laughs> and by nefarious, I mean teenage drug dealers uh, who have uh, very long hair and uh, think that she's a MILF, to which she says that she'd have to be a mom, which means that uh, she's <laughs> sans uh, children. Molly has no kids. No and kids. she, And I guess like she also, to meet up with drug contacts, enters weird little rituals of mass children yeah which was a very strange scene that i feel like we're not supposed to fully get yet and i'm okay with that and i feel like that's something we're going to enter into a little later and might even touch on in future parts but on that note i feel like we've done a great broad overview of the plot of these first three episodes so let's move on to talk about character which i think will be really helpful because so much of the plot is is vesseled through character Mm -hmm. so we're going to move on to our tv edition of heroes and Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Villain. 
So I feel like it's probably best to begin with our protagonist, Henry Deaver. A uh, very classic King protagonist, I think, in that it is somebody who left town, has become at least moderately successful in whatever they've pursued outside of wherever their roots were initially laid, and is forced to come back for some reason or another. I would hire him if I was on death row. <laughs> <laughs> he, he seems, seems very confident. He I, seems to know his shit, and he gets you know, so emotional that he's willing to throw a chair I wouldn't, into bulletproof glass. I would not hire that man. You wouldn't hire him? Why wouldn't you hire him? His first client gets killed. Well, it's well, probably it's not his first client. It's probably <laughs> well, his first client that we see on that the we show see on the show gets got. Well, that's because there's uh, a lot. You know, she seems like a creep anyway. No, he seems like a really a really good guy at heart. No, I probably would hire him, uh, especially after that that uh, conversation he has with the kid. I'd, I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, let's take this town for all it's worth. I wouldn't be really creepy in my answers. <laughs> well, I like him a lot because I think Andre Holland does a really great job of grounding the character. Who, yeah. Because the character mm -hmm. has so many mysteries wrapped around him. There's the mystery, like, what is truly the relationship between him and his mother? It's still... Yeah, you don't know. It's still strange. It's still... I mean, she doesn't even recognize him. Right. She doesn't even recognize him. Uh, what is his relationship with Alan Pangborn really like? Because Alan saved him as a child. So you'd think that they would like each other. Right. But there is a weird tension that exists between them, and you know that there's more going on there. What was his relationship ship like with his father the man who adopted him um the preacher i think that there's definitely some darkness and strange things going on there and also what is his relationship to the town we yeah. don't know he clearly came back from somewhere at the beginning when he was a child he was quote-unquote abducted mm -hmm. disappeared somewhere and i think that wherever it was he went is probably wherever Bill Skarsgård yeah, is coming from. <laughs> pretty and much. so I feel like that's really the connection there. And so he is a character who is cloaked in so much mystery, but luckily the show's giving him, given him a really strong, uh, you know, active goal with the sense that he's been summoned back, which, you know, you know, and just like every King protagonist, even if they hate being back in that town, there is a part of them that is always drawn back to that town. Yeah. You and know, that's very Kingian. Yeah. This absolutely. whole flashback and forth thing is great. I mean, you know, I, 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 it, it's in so many of his stories, whether it's Dreamcatcher. I love how that's the first one. Dreamcatcher. <laughs> Uh, whether no, it's, I know what you mean. Whether yeah. it's it or Dreamcatcher or Stand by Me, you know. So I, I like that they're introducing that in this first yeah. season, and that it's you know it's paramount to Henry's you know story. Uh, having said that, I I'm still very. I do wish that there was one character that he could kind of align with on a, yeah. on a you know a, a roots level, like where I guess maybe Molly's of, that character, but. Just someone that you can that he kind of can trust a little bit. I mean, maybe Molly's that, but it doesn't seem that way. Like I never get the sense well, of that anyone trusts anyone right. in this show, which maybe is the point. But I, but that's not very Kingian, though. I agree with you. I feel like there should be like an old friend or something. Yeah, exactly. like are you watching Sharp Objects on HBO? I am. Like, see, I kind of love that Amy Adams has. Um, well, she has that bartender friend who's the great. bartender friend, and um, I can't Elizabeth Perkins character. Oh yes, yeah. that character. I feel like those are characters who really kind of symbolize like the people she knew when she was young, yeah. who haven't changed that much, and they're people that she can just talk to like a normal person. Yeah. I feel like we don't have that with Henry, no. and that's what... I do wish we had that too, just like yeah. some old drinking buddy or something. Yeah. Well, it's tough because, I mean, he essentially was kind of, I think, like driven out of town because they all thought that he was responsible. Yeah, I guess that's true. And, I mean, they just all think he's like this this killer. I mean, you know what I mean? True. So, like, I think... It's it's tough. I do think that Molly will end up being that character for him. I agree, especially um, after that, the that, third episode. But yeah, but it was a complicated 
first meeting. <laughs> I, I kind of hope that uh, you know he becomes friends with uh, Bill. The, yeah, Bill. <laughs> I want him to become <laughs> friends with the kid. You know, he comes in and I, he's like, "Hey, uh, I brought you a donut." And he's like, "Do you oh, mean the prison guard?" The prison guard, Bill. No, Zaleski. Uh, no, no, Zaleski. They could be friends. They could be friends. That's except true. That's Zaleski true. seems a little more concerned about his own prison buddy friends <laughs> and his uh, his baby that he's uh, going to have to be watching. So. I feel like something's going to happen there. Yeah, I think Maybe. he's going to be. I think he could possibly be a tragic character. Whenever they mention anyone having a child, right? Uh, it seems like, yeah, well, you're fucked. Like, well, you're probably going to die soon. Yeah, right. He could be like uh, Danny Trejo in the Halloween remake. Oh <laughs> yeah, you were good. To, I was good to <laughs> I you. Was good to you, Bill. No, um, calls him Bill's character. So Henry, what else do we want to know about him? He's got an active goal. It's trying. It's representing this character, but. Like, you know, and I feel like that's a good active goal. It's going to keep him moving forward. The question is sort of, uh, you know, what mysteries do we want solved? Where do we want to see him well, move? I mean, I want to know what happened. <laughs> I want to know where he was. I think it's also very interesting that he doesn't seem to remember a lot about that time. And it's so that in that sense, it's very much like the kids coming back to Derry. Well, they bring that up the minute he gets back. Yeah. Because his mother yeah. starts, you know, recalling old memories. And well, and she, and, 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 and let's just, and he's like, let's I, throw this out there now before we get to her character. But Stacey Spacek's character is clearly has Alzheimer's or something. Yeah. She's, she's got good days and bad days. So, um, it's because she's scary. <laughs> that, the, that the reveal is hey that's be. my prediction that i made on the podcast about yeah, two soon, months ago as soon as as soon as uh we find out that cooge is is running the uh the the, <laughs> the drug ring the yeah. drug ring you're gonna find out that that's actually well Karen. she's doing really fun stuff like making paying more dig up old uh dead animals uh <laughs> you know that have been buried for a long long time and yeah i feel cases like, and... i feel like we still don't know enough about her to really speak on it mm-hmm. i feel like she's yeah. a character that is more or less there to um serve as sort of like <laughs> that question mark that we know is going to get answered in yeah, a little yeah. bit and that she is probably a very key person in understanding the relationship and the mystery so, but let's talk about somebody who's a little bit more grounded, at least, is uh, Alan Pangborn. Yeah. Because we see him at the bar. We see him kind of... Uh, My favorite scene so far. So good. Yeah. Like, and we learn a lot about that he is still very involved in the goings-on of Castle Rock, even though he's no longer the sheriff. And I guess I'm just very intrigued. And I haven't read Needful Things in a while, or The Dark Half in a while, and those are the two big Alan Pangborn books. Yeah. Uh, but I do... I do always remember that Alan Pangborn's story, you know, he was never a character who was all that. He was complicated. He's had, you know, he's had some darkness in him, but he never really had a story where he was wholly compromised or uh, traumatized necessarily. And needful things, they get into the death of his ex-wife and everything. And and that's played with, but... Here we see a, a Pangborn that is so very different from the one we know from the books. This is a man who is much older, much more bitter, and much more... You can tell that he's nursing some kind of intense trauma. And I am so intrigued to find out like what it is that happened. Because they're taking a lot of liberties with that character, I think. He is the opposite of it. He's, I mean, if anything, he's sort of an anti-hero here. Yeah. Like you say he's the good guy, which I believe too. But at the same time, there is that anti-quality about him... Because he's not positing himself as a hero. He's positing himself as, as sort of a, an antagonizing presence to a lot of people in the town, including Henry. So yeah, It's interesting that he's still there. Yeah. And that he is still dealing with this. And I and, and hey, you know what? If I was in Castle Rock that long, 
I'd be grizzled and upset as well. <laughs> yeah, but he's but, he, but he's he, got he's got Ruth Deaver. But I he's think, got Ruth Deaver on the dial. You know, he's I just like, hey, I'm coming over. I honestly think that that's why he's still there because you know that has probably been going on. Something something there has probably been going on, and he feels beholden to her. Probably. And I I kind of I dig that. I really like that because that's the kind of character that that would stay for the good of someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's why I feel like you know that just that that you know when he goes to uh, Ann Cusack's the who the who the new warden at Shawshank and they're yeah. at the bar and he's just like you better keep that fucking kid yeah. <laughs> in the pen, yeah. which is so great because we just had been watching Henry Deaver, you know, go to all these efforts to get him out, mm-hmm. and the two of them are at odds. There's just a lot of really <laughs> both cool, of our protagonists, are, yeah, and they're, they're both protagonists. different angles <laughs> it's very interesting but it's yeah. also incredibly abrams slash bad robot like this yeah. is something that it reminds me of like the leftovers it reminds me uh, which is lindelof but still you know tied it's to still, lost tape scott glenn yeah and yeah. oh that's true actually yeah, yeah and, and you know reminds me of uh, a lot of the earlier seasons of lost where you're like well i'm kind of on this guy's side and i'm kind of on that and they, they just love that kind of gray area where they kind of exist in where you're like i don't really know who the protagonist is here but i know they could all be the protagonist right I mean, that's great and, and that's, that's cool fun. you have multiple characters that you're you're kind of rooting for yeah i mean even molly yeah. especially yeah and that is very kingian yeah you know i'm going to keep using that word kingian. i'm just going to coin it now yeah. but it's, it's pertinent it's the word for the show yeah. but i guess speaking of molly too i mean talk about an anti-hero in a way i mean we see that when she was a child she killed henry's father yeah and we don't really and doesn't she mention that she heard a lot of like terrifying noises coming from his house like i feel like that's something that she said uh if i'm remembering correctly mm-hmm. like that to me is that something really dark was happening in that house. And that I feel like that moment when she killed him was probably a moment where she thought she was helping Henry. And that's what I'm very curious about is that's such a dark, you know, thing to reveal is that as a child, she did that. But also the fact that she has these um, telepathic powers and what they really mean uh, in the larger course of things. Are they Carrie-esque? Like, is she able to actually like, think so, like manipulate things or is it simply a, an ability to, you know, forge a psychic connection? I think it's more like an unbreakable, Mm. you know, where like David Dunn uh, has the ability to foresee the future or the past or whatever it is with whoever he kind of touches or he kind of connects with. I'm only referencing that film because I just had to write the trailer up for for a (laughs) Comic-Con coverage. But I I do think it's like soft psychic ability. Like, I don't think she has the ability to like burn down the town or anything. She's not uh, Charlie. Uh, No, no. I think who does have the ability to do that is uh, Sissy Spacek as uh, Ruth Deaver. Because we're going to find (laughs) out that she is Carrie White. I will say I really loved the little invention uh, that we see in episode two when she pulls the box out. And she kind of has contact with that that clo- the clothes, yeah. and the sign, and has the little timer. Yeah, she has to be. There has to be a, a finite amount of contact with these items bef- before she kind of loses herself. Right. I think. Yeah. And I, I love that invention. Yeah. It's so cool. It's just such a nice little. It's very Vince Gilligan. Thing. But that did remind me of Charlie a little bit, and that did remind me a little bit of like control. She knows how to control. Yeah. Certain things. She's yeah. learned enough. Uh, Maybe she is Charlie, and, and that's why she's on these drugs. You know, you're talking about Charlie from uh, Firestarter, right? 
Yeah, we're going to find out that she's actually Charlie. Yeah, well, she's like, going to burn down uh, Shawshank at the end of the season. <laughs> no, well, I will say that I one of the things I like about Molly, like you were just mentioning, we don't have a character for Henry that can sort of be a rock in a way. Yeah. Whereas with Molly, we have Alison Tolman's character, yes. who is who she's fr- awful to. Yeah, she's so awful to. But I and I and we don't know a lot about that character yet. But I do like that we have that character who yeah. just seems like a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> like who yeah. lives in Castle Rock right, yeah. and is her friend and can kind of represent that side of the town because otherwise we don't really get a lot of that. Is that her friend or is that her her sister? sister. Oh, it's her sister, sister, my bad. She's she's an incredible actress, too. Love Love her. Loved uh, Alison Tolman. We talked about Fargo before. Fargo, yeah. But uh, very happy to see her and also speaks to the quality of the casting in the show when she could just pop in for like a two-minute bit role, which isn't a good... It's not going to be a bit role, but just having the, the this short little gasp and being like oh yeah there's that that's well, that, that, that I, she was leading the show yeah. three well, years ago I am ago. curious about that character because I remember when they added they added her to the cast like really late in the game mm-hmm. like when the show was almost done filming I think so I I thought it was really interesting that she was in this the first second episode oh yeah I was like whoa yeah I just wonder if it's like did they just hold off on announcing that casting or what like oh, I don't know possible. I don't it's know possible. how any of that show yeah. works I mean, but, you know, they shoot all these episodes out of order, so you just never know. That is true. But, but Molly Strand, uh, she she's in real estate, so she's kind of a great conduit to kind of discover the town yeah, as well. Absolutely. And you're going to have some sort of revelations, I imagine, down the well, road. Well, just her entire, you know, the whole reason she's on uh, the, what's the name the of the TV show? show. The local Color. Local Color, yeah. It's because she's trying to revitalize the town and, mm-hmm. and kind of make it over. And I thought this was actually really fun. I was... Uh, well, I'll get to it when we get to King's Dominion, but I have a little a little snippet there. Oh, fun. Yes. Uh, yeah, so it's just, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that she knows the history of this town more yeah. than anyone else, so it's kind of like our our um, our, our resident librarian. Uh, yeah. Reminds me of another librarian oh. from another town. Uh, Miguel Hanlon? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. Mike Hanlon. Mike Hanlon, <laughs> yeah. But Who I, also uh, pops up in these episodes. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <now>. Right. <laughs> Uh, how pissed would you be if it was revealed that Henry Deaver happens to be like the son of Mike Handler or some <laughs> shit like what? that? Ridiculous. I, well, that's the um, thing is like with the mention, like remember on our Needful Tweets episode, like King mentioned that, oh yeah, we're going to see a Plymouth Fury yeah. in this show. And I'm just kind of, and it makes us, I think, cringe at just kind of the cat's eye sort of, hey, look, there's yeah. Cujo. Hey, look, there's Christine. Well, because this would just not work in this show. Right. And it, I think that's the but benefit. If they're doing yeah. it in ways... I mean, there's ways to do it and make it work, mm-hmm. and uh, and I and again when we when we get when to we King's, Dominion. King's Dominion, we can, yeah, yeah there's plenty to discuss there. Sure. Well, yeah, either absolutely. way, Molly Strands for me is probably the most interesting character. Yep, uh, if only because she stayed in town this whole time, so she's seen a shitload of things, and she has this chip on her shoulder that's similar to Henry, that I can't tell yet if it's because of. You know, obviously past events that that has happened specifically to her or because she feels that of things that have happened to the town. Yeah. You know, is she personalizing this or is she trying to actually, you know, find some redemption for the town? Uh, Maybe some Shawshank redemption. (laughs) Um, Well, Yeah. Since we're talking about her, her character, do do what do you guys think about her pulling the plug on the priest? I think it was a great choice. Let one less priest that we have to worry about yeah. in this world. <laughs> um, no, I think. I mean, I think that it's one of those things that the texture and the um, the meaning of it is going to change as the as as we learn yeah. more things. And I think that the thing is, in a weird way, I trust her because she does have that psychic ability, right? And I trust that she probably believed she was doing the right thing when she did that. So I when, will. I yeah. will say that 
you know, we brought up Firestarter a moment ago, and obviously I don't think that she's Charlie, but at the same time, there are these King uh, illusions in the sense of a character who has a psychic ability or a mental, uh, you know, ability that is trying to dampen it, that yeah. is trying to, like, push it down. Uh, that, to me, is a very King sort of quality. Yeah. This whole idea that I am blessed with a power that I do not want to exert. And I wonder if we're going to, if maybe the power of what Molly has, we're only seeing a shade of it now. And if it's going to be like a Firestarter sort of ending where it's unleashed in an apocalyptic fashion. Right. I, I don't know yeah. about the apocalyptic fashion, but I do think... I do think that she is more powerful than she knows. I think that w- she says at one point to Henry that she needed to distance herself from him. Uh, you know, when she comes clean after he bails her out, that she needed to distance herself from him because she loses herself when she's around him. Yeah. Because she has this intense connection. And I, part of me feels like that's what happened when she walked in there and took the plug out of the yeah. of Henry's father. I think that she was kind of channeling him she probably felt and her abuse. and her his rage and all and whatever whatever is ha- whatever yeah. happened. Yeah. And but maybe not. Maybe she's the devil. I don't know. <laughs> so I think it's interesting though. I just I I love that they're they're throwing these things out there. And I then, got, I got a question yeah, uh, yeah. For, about you know to to pose to the table here. Sure. Uh, do you think Molly and uh, Henry are going to go to the Bone Zone? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering well, if about Stephen that. King was writing this. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would have already happened. No, I, I actually wonder if there's going to be any kind of love story uh, this season. It's not something that I feel like they're particularly setting up right now. It's not a vibe I get. I think that um, it's possible, but... They really, I don't know. I, I feel like it's not really a King book if there isn't some kind of love story. Yeah. I mean, I feel like his novels, there's always something. So maybe, but, and that's the only connection I can see right now is between Molly and Well, Henry. there's yeah. another character that we can talk about. In, oh, yeah. In, in two seconds. Yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. pose the question, what is going on at Molly's house? Do you think the that someone's actually like going in there and messing things up? Do you think that... It's her like latent psychic ability that's like destroying the house. It's interesting because the stuff that is actually happening in the house is actually happening in the house. Right, so like right. th- we do see things that are overturned, that are broken. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. it can't just be this ghost. I don't know. Ghost. Ghost. I don't think it is. I think. Or do we think? Do you think? Do you think it's Kujo? I was gonna say I think it's Kujo. It is Kujo. He's come back. Kujo's cousin. The Shaggy DA from the first episode. Oh my god! Do you god. think it's the dog? No, in the I house? think it's. I think it's. I, oh, that, it could be the Shaggy DA. Shaggy DA. <laughs> I like the idea that that Shaggy dog. Uh, by the way, there's an English sheepdog that keeps running through. Sh- uh, is it English sheepdog? Sh- I don't know what it Whatever. is. We're going to be corrected. Matt Mellis dog. You know uh, what we can do? We can call up the PetSmart that ousted <laughs> Molly. Yeah, <laughs> we still got to do that. And 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 I think I also like to think that that's why Molly is named Molly as a little a little ode to Molly. Oh yeah. Well, so you think Molly the thing of evil? Maybe Molly the strand of evil. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I like the uh, first off. Where are the corgis? There are no corgis in this town. <laughs> I think this is, I think this is corgis absolutely are, ridiculous. Corgis are out of place. Not Castle out of place. I, no. I, I, it will pull me right out of the show if we see a corgi. If I see a corgi in this show, I'm gonna be I'm gonna make it number one on Consequences Sound. The end of the year. Oh boy! Oh, wow. Automatic number one. Let's well let's, anyway. Let's I think talk we could, about yeah. another character that I can't wrap my head around, and okay. that's Jane Levy's character. And what is her name? Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a Torrance. In we have a Torrance here. Now, we have a lot of two... I have a lot of 237 for her. 
and okay. not just because of the last name. Uh, but but what because do we think I have some her, theories. What do we think about her character in general before we get into the nitty gritty of the relationship? There? She's got an attitude. <laughs> she she she's got some guff. Yeah, she's got some balls. She the way the way that she talks to Deaver when yeah. she first meets him. It's like I want to see your, and, your, your and, foot. And it's just kind of blatantly like yeah yeah. I mean, one could take it as. And I definitely was as as like a a, a gen, like a kind of a flirtation oh, yeah. underneath the, yeah. the poking and prodding. Yeah. But I think she's also genuinely interested in the history of this town, which makes me believe that maybe she's she's new to the town. Yeah, I think there's also a part of the town that she'd like to go to, which is the Deaver Bone Zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Stephen King has any say. <laughs> That could happen. I guess you're right. I guess that is probably maybe the most uh, fertile ground for boning. But yeah, that character, I feel like she's kind of got her fingers in a lot of the different pies around town. And uh, not in that way, you filthy boy. (laughs) No, um, I just I feel like she's that character right now who sort of exists on the periphery um, and is a little bit involved in everybody's business. And I am just waiting to see what they're going to do it. Well, she's she's a Christian or a Catholic or something mm-hmm. something to do with God because she hangs out at the church a lot. But I like to think she's going to, I mean she's questioning the, the man at the pulpit right out the gate. So yeah. I kind of think to me she came off like this is someone who's bored and has gone to yes. church because she's bored. Like, yeah. and, and that is just kind of like a, a that to me that's like a fun character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry all you church goes out there but she she no, might actually be she, the link to what to us finding out more about the the Deaver father. Right. And I know. what was really cool I like I and I like the fact that the third episode focuses solely on Molly because I think that we're going to get a lot more of that. I think there's going to be episodes that just primarily follow some of these individuals as we flesh out the town more. Right, which and I that's hope gonna they do. that's going to be really fun. That's yeah. going to be really cool. Yeah. Um, it almost makes me wish there was more episodes. I mean, like, I'm, I don't because I think 10 episodes is really good, but I will say that, I don't know, it's, I like the idea that we could filter several episodes through specific characters because that's the way King likes to develop character and I feel like it's, a, it's, it's helped so far with the show. Like, I love the fact that we spent the third episode with Molly in the way yeah. that we did. I really felt like I got a sense of that character. And um, yeah, maybe next episode we'll get another similarly uh, character-focused well, episode. Well, like the doors lead to other worlds in the Dark Tower, so do the characters in all of Stephen King's books. You know, if he uses characters to be able to get from one plot point to another in many ways that some might say are traditional for, uh, for with regards to narrative. And I think this show does that, too. Uh, you know, you, I, I, this show really reminds me of Salem's Lot. I didn't want to say it too much because, you know, I feel like this is the first Castle Rock story other than Needful Things, probably. Uh, and I haven't read the book. I've only seen the film a long time ago. But uh, that that really kind of fleshes out the town itself. I mean, you could say that about the dead zone too, nah, I guess. But really. that that that's kind of like a slice of life. And, well, they go and, get and chilly with Bannerman. Part, that's you know? it. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, and but another and I, another thing that I another character I'd like to bring up who has uh, a lot of children is Shawshank. <laughs> I think that that prison still has this creepy presence. Yeah. And. Um, you know, obviously a lot of bad things have ha- happened at Shawshank, but, you know, from the from the film, which clearly it's tied to, and we'll go into that, uh, it felt like just any any prison, really. Do you know what I mean? It didn't feel like the prison had... You mean in the film? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like the prison was a bad egg, no. necessarily. It was just kind of like, you know, 
this is this this is the slice of you know this is yeah. what's been handed to these guys. If, if anyone because there's special, a lot of good people. Yeah, I feel like there's a I said a lot of good people, but there's a lot of there was a lot of um, friendly inmates in that, and yeah. and you know people just kind of got the rod under the stick and and we're just trying to live the rest of our lives. However, we learned that <laughs> over the last whatever thirty years, I mean it's it's clearly not gone well. Shawshank is not somewhere you want to be. It's a bad prison. People are getting hurt left and right. I mean, it's it, and and we learn all this from the guard that's living, that's not living, but the guard that's working there. Yeah. Um, uh, what was it? No, no, Gillespie. Gillespie, yeah. And he's he's not comfortable in there anymore. I think he's no. kind of it's kind of coming to light that all these things have been happening. Uh, well, you feel the weight of its history. Yeah. Like they they yeah. really emphasize that. You see the photos of the different wardens, which includes Bob Gunton's. Um, Ward Norton, uh, Ward Norton uh, from yeah, the film, yeah. which I think is is a really I think just the inclusion of that shows that this series is incorporating the full history and weight that we know. And we know even from the Shawshank Redemption book that it was a very dark place to yeah, be. I mean, yeah. it was run by corrupt people. It's always been run by yeah. corrupt people. Yeah. And there was, you know, I mean, like we see in the short story, I mean, there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of rape. There's a lot of horrible shit that's going down. That's and, true. Right? Yeah. And I just I feel like the, that's what we, I feel like that's what you're saying though, yeah. is that the, the way that the prison is presented in this, you can feel the weight and the darkness and the, the the dirty aspects of it, the filth of it, you know. But well, in terms of this, sorry, in terms of the Salem's Lot likening, yeah, I kind of see Shawshank as the Marsden House. I agree, kind of over, over, Absolutely. kind of just like looming over yeah. Castle Rock, like all of its problems yep. have ended up at Shawshank, yep. and it's just this big haunted house. No, it's it's. I totally agree, a hundred percent. And they even find something creepy in the. the I know, oh, yeah. Kind of weird. yeah. But uh, <laughs> let's talk like about they do in the in the in the cellar of uh, the Marston House. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, it, I think the parallels are apt. Uh, especially given uh, and not apt people, but uh, I, th- <laughs> I think some... that the... <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I think... God, that was so dumb. Uh, but if we're going to talk about Shawshank, we got to talk about the other warden that yep. uh, decided to tie a rope around his neck and drive out uh, into Castle Lake, and that is Terry Quinn's Dale Lacey. Now, what I'm, is going I think the jury's out on this guy too. Like, I mean, we've talked about how there's corruption that has run deep through Shawshank. Yeah. Is this guy equally corrupt? Absolutely. You think so? I think so. I think that he he what I think that he is so much so that he felt compelled to make up for it and that's what he thinks he's doing down there with the kid. Yeah, I, okay, I could see that. I think that it got to the point where he knew or whatever power is leading him to do that that this kid was probably going to get out or something and then or somehow I don't know, it just felt like it was his time. Which is really creepy. I love his narration in the second oh, episode. Oh, that's great. I love the reveal about his brother yep. uh, jumping off the... Oh, the, that was the, awesome. That, that was creepy. horrifying. Um, the fact that this... It is very dairy. It is very like mm-hmm. this town. Something's rotten in this town. Yeah. Hence the town itself. Yeah. And it is it has creeped into everyone's lives in some which way, shape, or form. And yet he's still there. Yeah, and I, I get, think that's what's really interesting is the fact that the people that recognize this, like Pangborn and him, and the fact that they stay mm-hmm. in town. Uh, well, it almost just feels like they know something that everybody else in town doesn't. Like yeah. I look at Pangborn, I look at Lacey, and I'm like, those are two guys who are in a way supposed to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? 
protectors yeah. of this town. And so the fact that Lacey kills himself makes me feel like he feels like it's doomed. Yeah. And that whatever their attempts were to protect it were fucked somehow. Yeah. And that um, he's like, well, I don't want to be around to see it. And I wonder, I wonder about France because Frances Conroy, who's a notable actress, plays his wife. Mm-hmm. We only, yeah. I think we've yeah. only seen her once, maybe twice. She's blind too. She's blind, and I'm just really wondering what role she'll play. Also, I think that Terry O'Quinn's character, like we were saying, is he is he uh, retiring? Is he being pushed out? I think that's a big thing because now, if he's pushed out or retires, he can't. He has no reason to be at that prison to take care of or watch over this this kid. So I think to, at this point, he's like. There isn't anyone else to do this. Like, so, it's something's gonna happen. Somehow, this is gonna, he's gonna get out, and and that's probably why he like kills himself. I'm assuming. With that in mind, something that I was thinking about, and especially if we're gonna be paralleling to Lost, which is just gonna happen with when I'm thinking about Bad Robot and mm-hmm. considering how many people are involved. But I have a feeling we're gonna have a bottle episode with Terry O'Quinn. Oh, definitely. You know, I feel like there's so much more to know about that character that's really important, and that's why I was really shocked when he killed himself. And I, you know, I was really shocked. Yeah, 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 I did not expect that. And so, yeah, I definitely think that we might get a bottle episode there, or if not a bottle episode, just you know, again another maybe a whole episode that takes place in flashback. Well, I think I think we have to find out. I don't think we have to, but I think we are going to find out like just how he came to discover why the kid is so evil. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little, I'm still out on that. I don't know if I want that, but I, but I know that that could be a really good episode. You know, that this kind of, I imagine it's going to be something similar to the green mile and that, uh, you know, he's going to get older and he's, the kid's going to stay the same age somehow. Yeah. Or there's like, and that's Maybe. how he's going to start realizing there's some weird sort Something's of element there. Like granted, this could be all in 237, yeah. but I think it plays <laughs> into the, the, you know, the character right now because for all we know, he's gone forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it could have just ended with that letter, but I don't think this is the end we see of Dale Lacey. Like, I think he, I think Terry O'Quinn is actually a far more substantial character in this series and than I, we think we are, than we Mike, think we know. I hope so. I do too. Because I love Terry O'Quinn. I do too. I think that, I think that he will be. I think that they've already established that there are going to be flashbacks and things. I think that we'll see more conversations with him. I mean, you know, he clearly sat there and smoked cigarettes and yeah. that thing was chock full. I mean, like, yeah. you know, he, he does, he's done this every day. Well, for yeah, me, I know? just want to know what his relationship is to Alan Pangborn. Yeah. Like that to me is, exactly. is the real, I feel like that could really open up a window into the nature of Bill Skarsgård's character and whatever it is that, because why would, why, I mean, clearly they were in league because he says to the new warden, don't let that kid out of the cage. And that to me is the scene that really sticks with me. Well, it's also going to tie into, I feel other stories, mm-hmm. you know, where we're going to find out something that made Pangborn and Lacey connect even prior. Because yeah. if you think about it, let's say that Lacey stumbles upon the kid. I guess he has to maybe disclose this to Pangborn because he's the sheriff. But why? Maybe there has to be some sort of trust where history exactly. There for sure. And I think that's where we're going to find out. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he knew about him through Leland Gaunt, or maybe he knew them some right. other story. In which or case, whatever. he would trust them with everything that he's yeah. talking about, especially if he was there for that situation. Yeah. So uh, that's exciting, and, and also, but yeah. you know, um, any other characters we want to talk about? Well, I, I think we should talk a little bit about Noel Fisher's Zaleski, just okay. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, we mentioned that he's a, a would be, a could be tragic character because he has a kid on the way and which is he's always doomed, if you know. know horror movies that is this, the death signal 
But he's also I, put himself in a really precarious spot. Yeah. yeah. Precarious yeah. position. Um, well, there's like that shot where he's like watching the security monitors. Yeah. And he it, what I love about him is that he still treats the kid as this regular thing. Yeah. Like he's like talking to him and he's like, yeah, you know, I was up late last night. And- right. And that's why I made the joke about Danny Trejo in Halloween. Cause I'm like, I feel like he might be that he's got that human element where he is trying to be good to the people that everyone else hates yeah. and is, you know, he exudes sort of empathy, which mm-hmm. they could either take that to a heroic way or they could go the opposite way, which is like, you know, like Danny Trejo in, in Halloween, which is this kind of like that kind of empathy can kill you. And that yeah. can, like you don't know what you're dealing with. Yeah. You don't understand the weight. And we see that in King a lot, too. Yeah. That character who is a little too kind. Like, you know, they the evil will take advantage yeah. of your kindness. Well, he's yeah. the messenger. And we yeah. all know what happens in the messenger. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, it's just like I, 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 I don't think that he's going to make it past episode five. Oh, wow. That's bold. <laughs> it's a bold, bold prediction. Bold and, prediction. Uh, well, you've heard here. Uh, I think we have one more that we haven't really. We've talked about him adjacently, with, adjacently, but Bill Skarsgård's the kid. Yeah. <laughs> Which I know we've again. Uh, we've I feel about like everything we can say about him is going to go under two, three, seven. I agree. I agree. Okay, so then maybe. But I think just yeah, just as as a as a base character, uh, very creepy. I love his performance. I think he's doing great. And it's it, it's totally different from anything that he did with Pennywise, which is great because not, you know, I think the fact that he's not in any of that makeup, a lot of people aren't gonna recognize him no. at all. I mean, I I talked to some people the other day that uh that he was in it and they just had no clue. They were like, Wait, he's in Castle Rock? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I was yeah. Like, uh yeah. Which is kinda sad so, because a uh, hot take. He is 10 times more terrifying in these episodes than in any section of it. Uh, I don't know. There's times in it that I love him. I do too. And I'm not saying I don't love him I in think it. He's I think pretty f- good. In terms of frightening. Yeah. I think he's legit frightening in this show. Yeah. I and also, it, well, I think like, that's, I think that has a lot to say to do with the people creating this show versus the people doing it. And I, Hey, look, I like, I liked it, but I, I think, I like his version. Now we're getting into it. I like his version of Pennywise. I think I'm glad that he didn't try, just try to do Tim Curry. I like that he did his own thing. Yeah. But I think that because there's a level of mystery here with this character that, and, and it's very explained, we don't know anything about this character. No. So it's all our imagination doing all the work. But it's also Skarsgård's dead stare, which he kind of yes. does a little bit in it. But He's I'll so tell you this. Nothing, yeah, nothing has really been good. the most frightening part of it to me was years before the movie came out when i had to do a news story on him when mm-hmm. he was announced that he was uh, pennywise and i found just this random press photo of his stare into the camera and it like honestly i mean like like my hair is standing up again like it, it legitimately <laughs> scared me and he does that non-stop yeah. in this like that scene where he's looking into the security camera at Zaleski is so frightening. It's creepy. And so that, but that also goes into a section that we're going to be talking about later. But right, all but I'm I'll, saying is that Skarsgård is bringing the horror. In well, this, yeah. And in I'll this add like, what's so scary is in, you know, Pennywise is trying to be scary. Yeah. Like he, and that's, right, and right. people are always a little bit less scary when they're trying to be scary usually. But whereas this character, this is a character who everyone is underestimating. Yep. And that's what I love about it. And of course we don't know yet, but the vibe I get is that people are underestimating this character and that the, the what's behind that dead stare is a lot scarier than we understand. Absolutely. And that to me is very exciting. Yeah. So, and that's what he's good at. And I like Skarsgård a lot. Uh, yeah, I read an interview with him in GQ and he talked about how he got so skinny for the role. He did. I mean, he's fucking gaunt in this. Keto diet, baby. 
when he's in the shower getting clean, I'm like, <laughs> uh, uh, very uncomfortable. Maybe, he's, uh, maybe any he's, other thoughts on character before we move on? Um, I mean, there's a couple other characters we could just mention, but there's nothing really to go into. I mean, you know, like the warden and his and, her, and the lackey. That guy. Yeah, they're they're know, bad they, news. I mean, they're bad news. They're they're not. We haven't really gotten very much of them. So We're starting to see why all these wardens get rolled into corruption. Yeah, yeah. because Absolutely. the corruption because just swallows. Yeah, it's so it's it's overwhelming. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I, I, I other characters though, other than that, that play a, a role, a huge role. I, I can't think of it. Uh, we've been talking about a lot of darkness, but now it's time to um, bring in Danny Lloyd because it's uh, time for some shining moments. I can remember when I was a little boy, my grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shining. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had to shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks Though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. So, shining moments—a uh, new new category for this uh, very special section. We are each gonna kind of go around and just talk about one moment where we're feeling the shine on Castle Rock. So, uh, a moment that we think really exemplifies what's working about this show, what's good about this show. Mike, do you want to kick us off? I guess I could kick it off. I I really liked the whole sequence that swells with uh thomas newman's score yeah yes. uh which you might know thomas newman for doing the scores for the shawshank redemption and the green mile that's, that's pretty right. awesome that he's doing this i love it yeah. and then they're able to use his themes from the movie too yeah. so Absolutely you get to see little hints a, a lot to this show um not only just continuity wise because mm-hmm. clearly we are tied to the shawshank film yeah uh but it, it just knowing that we don't have to worry about the music yeah is great because I think music makes a movie, music makes a, a TV show. Like, if you've got a good score, you're already off to the races. Like, well, it's, it's always... Speaking of being off to the races, uh, the beginning of episode two, where you get to hear Terry O'Quinn's narration, which is pretty much kind of a, an extended version of what we hear in the trailer, mm-hmm. uh, with Thomas Newman's score and a lot of shots of the town and some history. And there are going to be some nuggets that we'll talk about in uh, The King's Dominion, but... That's where I really felt like uh, like we are watching something incredibly special in the way that they're taking old texts and bringing them into this new light. And it just felt fully realized at that point. It was the second episode. I already felt comfortable. It was like this realization. I was like, oh, I actually feel like I'm in this town right now. This mm-hmm. is awesome. And now I'm actually really interested in even going deeper now. And, and I feel like I have a, a good grip or so steady your footing. There are some themes uh, that have popped up multiple times now where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, like yeah. like now, oh, well, now we're with this character. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's saying a lot for yeah. being three episodes in. You yeah. Know? Like, that's memorable music. Totally. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with you, Mike. I think the music's uh, excellent. Loving this. Thomas Newman. Great. Uh, M- Mac, what is a shining moment for you? I'm Scatman Crothers. Uh, you're I you're Danny I, Lloyd. I want Danny to- Lloyd. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, let me let me go to acting school and um, learn how to shine because uh, I think that some of the shining moments in this, um, and, and not to be too broad, but we're covering three episodes here, the cast yeah. is just no one's phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Everyone's giving a performance. I mean, 
and, and, and I gotta just say this, Sissy Spacek, this is the first King property that she's come back to since Carrie. Mm-hmm. And... Because she's playing she's Carrie. Giving, <laughs> yeah, she's giving... Yeah, she's just Carrie. <laughs> she's, but her and, you know, actors like Sissy Spacek and, and Scott Glenn, God, they could just be phoning this shit in. Yeah. And they are some of the most gripping, like, you, you are just on board with them. I don't know. And then you've got all this younger talent. I love Andre Holland. He's doing great. Andre Holland is going to be a star Great carrying the this. show. I love him. Yeah. And Melanie Linsky. Melanie Linsky. Yeah. I keep wanting to say Megan Mullally. Megan Mullally. She's in it. Uh, I think no. Melanie Linsky has had one of the coolest careers in Hollywood. I yeah, agree. She, yeah. She, she is really good. Like, if you show. really go back and like look at her IMDb page, she has done everything. She was in Ever After, <laughs> and she was also in Detroit Rock City. <laughs> well, it's wild, too, because, I mean, like... She's really she's some she's a woman who came up in an era when you sort of had to be a very specific kind of beautiful to mm-hmm. be leading movies. Yeah. And she was she's she reminds me a lot of like Heather Matarazzo. Like Heather Matarazzo yeah. is a, is a character actor like character actress. Like you don't get a lot of character actresses. Like you you almost have to sort of embody a certain amount of Hollywood panache or whatever to uh, you have to be Mila Kunis or you have to be Cameron Diaz to really like land like these leading roles, at least in the era that she came up in. And what I kind of love about Melanie Linsky is that she's really carved out her own path as a character actress who has also been able to prove herself as a leading woman in a lot of things. And like Mark Duplass has been like, uh, he cast her in Togetherness and she's yeah. like one of the leads on that. And then she's also done so many great indies. There's like an indie that came out uh, two years ago, I believe, called uh, Rainbow Time that she's in that I think she oh, is yeah. so wonderful in. And I think she is such a sort of, you know, wonderful workhorse actress who is, who I've read a lot of interviews with her. She's got like no ego and she also just really bucks a lot of the, like she's beautiful, but she doesn't look like Hollywood. You know what I mean? She looks like a normal person. Yeah. And so, and I just kind of love that she, I feel like she's, I'm glad to see her in this. I'm glad she's getting her due. And I feel like she's such a strange sort of like idiosyncratic actress too. She makes a lot of strange choices. And um, I feel like she's really getting a chance to flex like over the last several years. I think that on top of that, I think that we've got to give it up to the producers and the people directing this. It, it feels cohesive. It feels like a Stephen King story. Um, they've not forgotten the face of their father. <laughs> no, it really does. No, feel, like a... It feels in line with these other things. And I think you're absolutely right about her. I love the fact that she's like a lead on this. Any other producer production company, if this was on CBS, <laughs> it, the, the, the girl playing the Torrance character, was it uh, Jane Levy? Levy? Jane yeah. Levy would be that character. Right. Right. You know what right. I mean? And the fact, so the fact that we've got these great character actors in here, like leading the way, you've got uh, like Terry O'Quinn. I mean, give me a brick. Like <laughs> it, it, it's so, it's so good. And John Locke it's himself. like, you don't even need to try. No. Like you have to try not to like this well, show. Well, it's at also this point. it's also very true to King's roots in the sense that like the average age is like probably like forty one or forty two because most of the characters are like in their fifties or sixties, with the exception of like the two thirty or 40, you know not even thirty something. They're like all forty somethings for the most part. Like Andre Holland is like what in his late thirties. He the said thirty nine when he asked. Them, That's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So like I mean, it's a very adult story, and 
look, King's stories are very adult, and I this love isn't that, some teen, you know. I'll say I'm really glad too that in in their attempts to sort of emulate King, that they didn't bring any kids in. Mm-hmm. Like I get that, like kids are really important to King, yeah. like King's work, but at the same time, kids in horror. I don't know. It's just it's a thing I struggle with because, yeah. like, I think in it, it's perfect, but. We were talking about this. Uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but just like we saw, Mike and I saw Mission Impossible Five last night. We saw the press screening, and we were just like, "Man, isn't six, it great?" Six. Or six. I, like <laughs> we were just like, "Man, isn't it great that there's like no kids in these movies? Yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's like so adults. That's, like like with that, I feel like I'm just glad that there's not like a creepy kid in this. Uh, you well, know? the fact there's not a creepy kid, sure. I mean, I think they use kids like the younger versions of themselves in a way that works because it services. The, yeah, the story now. They're flashbacks. Yes, yeah. and like that works. But yeah, th- th- I'm I'm glad there isn't like, you know, a kid in the now. That's right. kind of like, I'm glad that's not the character that we. You know how we were saying? Oh, I wish uh, I wish Henry Deaver had like a best friend. <laughs> I'm glad it's not like boy oh, this new friend. kid that lives across the street that's like really bothering him all the time. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, it's uh, what's your name? Oh, short. Well, run. I actually, I actually hope the next time he goes to the mill, <laughs> the next time he goes to the mellow tiger, some like you know fat like older guy is just like. <laughs> Hey, Deaver, and then it's like, oh, you know, like like booger or something like that, you know. It's like absolutely hey, breaks old, the old tension. Friend. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I guess like, and then I guess pivoting off that, I mean, I think we we're all speaking sort of in broad terms for these three episodes when we're talking about shining moments because I think we're all just taking in what the show is, and we're this is us being grateful for, because uh, you know, you spoke about the score. You're speaking about the cast. And for me, I'm speaking about not the writing necessarily. I do like the writing, but more so the way that um, Sam Shaw and Dustin Thomason are weaving in King mythology into this. And we're going to talk more about that in King's Dominion, which I think will make a nice pivot. But um, but I think that for me, I appreciate the fact that they are not just recycling King Castle Rock uh, lore, i.e., Cooge, um, Dead Whoa. Zone, Frank Dodd. I need this Cooge. <laughs> um, and a lot of the other things that have befell Castle Rock over time. But as we'll talk about, I feel like they're being integrated in a way where they are interwoven into the history that is feeding into the events that are happening here. We're not just getting references, we're getting lore, like we're getting mythology yes. here. And that's what I like is that they're treating King, uh, they're elevating him, not like, you know, we just watched for Lobstrosities, we watched Sometimes They Come Back Again. And you've got, <laughs> a, same char- thing. You've got a character in there who's going, I'm the gardener man. And it's a joke because he's referencing the lawnmower man. And the difference between something like that where you've got like, hey, this is us acknowledging that it's a Stephen King property versus, hey, Stephen King wrote great stories and we are using the fabric of those stories to elevate and um, embolden the storytelling we're doing. And we're weaving in the nuance and the, uh, you know, the impact uh, and then and and actually considering how the events of Cujo and the events of Needful Things and the events of the Dark Half, how those things impacted this town in the modern setting that we're using. So I that's the thing that I am most grateful for. Like when I look at the show, yeah. is that they're doing that well. Yeah, and and I I agree with you because I feel like there's I feel like the show's getting a lot of backlash because of. They're saying it's like there's too much King stuff no. in it. But like, look, even as as people that have a Stephen King podcast, yeah, 
I can tell you right now, like, unless you know that stuff, yeah, no one's gonna pick up on that, and it's not gonna be a detriment to the show. No, seriously, at all. No, if the you only... don't even know what they're talking about, you don't need to know about you know anything in this sh- no. show that they talk about those things because it's not like this story they're trying to tell with the kid in the in the prison. And Henry Deaver's story. This is all new territory. It's yeah. all new story. You, like you, you don't need to know anything prior to in order to enjoy the no, show. The only thing that I and I mentioned this in my review for Consequence of Sound is that you know the the little details and all the Easter eggs and what have you only are just ways to sort of accentuate the town itself. It just right, gives you right. the nuances of the town and it in, and it insists upon a history that's there. You don't need to know if Cooge killed the Cambers. You don't need to know that Leland Gaunt owned a store in town. Like, But if you do... Well, but, it just uh, helps you understand the, the depth of the tragedy of its yeah. history, but the thing is the show does a great enough job because the way that those things are presented f- foremost is through all those newspaper clippings. They're, they're, they're like weathered cracks. Yes, basically. it's like basically, and the thing is you can just read those headlines without having read the book that we see and you get it. You don't need to yeah, read the book. Does know. it help? Yes, but the thing is I feel so confident because clearly the people who are making this show understand it and you can weave that right. stuff in and not make it reference heavy where you need to know the material, but make it something that informs the material. Yeah, it's yeah. a crutch. It's, yeah. I mean, it, but they don't lean on it. Right. It's just there to support it. I mean, I, I, that's... It's there, for, <laughs> it's there for the fans. But again, it's if it would be one thing, again, if it was like we needed to know what Cujo was. Yeah. Because they're bringing Cujo back, you know? Like, yeah. It, it would, that would be one thing. But they're not doing that. This is a new story in Castle Rock. And all that does, all that stuff does, is serve to, uh, you know, this. It really it's fan service, but it's the it's the best kind of fan service where it, they know what they're doing. Yeah, and it doesn't. It's not a. It's the, it doesn't pull you out of the show because it's all Stephen King. You can't. It's not like they're referencing Stranger Things or something. You know what no. I mean? <laughs> what well, if I they wish, did? But... I know. Well, Mike wishes my they boy, did. My boy, my boy, Steve yeah, Harrington, Harrington's rolls in gonna in show up. <laughs> uh, hey, is this, the, is this the way to Stranger Things? <laughs> is this the way to Stranger Things? I'm looking for a Hawkins, Indiana. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Uh, so let's move on. We're going to move on to a section that you are probably fairly familiar with. It's one from our book episodes, and it's called The Cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. Ooh, I can't wait to talk about the chilling stuff in this because it is actually genuinely scary. Yeah. So what scared you, Mac? Uh, The thing that creeped me out the most was probably the guards going to explore the now barren uh, wasteland of Shawshank. Yeah. Uh, just kind of going around and just walking around. And then I, I guess really, you know, Bill Skarsgård's first appearance. Yeah. Is, is it, I, I was like, He's just been there you, know, the like whole you don't time. know what you're going to find. No. It was very jarring. And I thought and, we were going to find uh, uh, Tim Robbins. <laughs> oh, yeah yeah just um, hanging out in there like, being like uh where's my poster like, no when, came when, back. when mike and i were watching it he had already seen it but like we were making that joke that it would be like andy dufresne like in the cage <laughs> but then also literally i think every time there was even the slightest moment that you could point to another king it was always like pennywise yeah, pennywise. Yeah, we would yeah. always go pennywise 
Cujo. But I <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily, luckily I watched this by myself. Yeah. And uh, I actually let my allowed myself to be frightened by these moments. Uh, no, I was doing that in my head as well. But uh, that was genuinely scary. And uh, and can I am I am I limited to one or can I? No, no, uh, go do as go many nuts. as you want. Um, hey, we had three episodes to go over. Uh, my my second one was the was definitely the end of of the third episode. Yeah, with when Molly goes up ter- upstairs to uh, explore and f- try to find out if there's there is truly someone in her home, and it's really it, the 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 reveal is really what scared me. It was just over her left shoulder. You can just see someone standing in the door, and before we even see who it is, that's terrifying. But that it's not it's not a sting scare. It's just like you see it, and I I was genuinely like, ugh. Yeah. Like this is creepy. And I no. think those are the scares that scare me the most are the ones, not the ones where, you know, there's like a, a piano crash and, and then you realize it's just, you know, someone's friend grabbing their <laughs> arm cooch. or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just cooch going, just walking by, just going on the shitter, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Mike, how about you? Everything involving Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Uh, it, he's it, so he just, he's so frightening in this. And it's all the ones, all those just shots where he's just staring off into uh, the deadlights. No, um, <laughs> no, I, I think he's, uh, he, his just his stare is is chilling for some reason. That's always been just terrifying to me. If someone has a really good dark stare, it just yeah. gets me. And he does, and it's this. These eyes just look as if like what Dr. Loomis describes in uh, Halloween. It's just like the the blackest eyes, uh, the devil's eyes. And you can find more about that film in uh, Halloweenies, a limited edition <laughs> podcast by Consequence Podcast Network, carving one Halloween movie a month leading up to David Gordon Green's new reboot on October 19th. Anyway, uh, I really do think that Skarsgård is terrifying in this. He, there, there's just no life to him. Right. And that's what's really eerie. That's a good way to put it. He is literally like a walking corpse. Yes. And Rand- I love that. Yeah. You know Randall, what? what, oh, what yeah. You know what freaked me out is uh, the end of the second episode. Fucking Alan Pangborn digging up oh, the grave of an animal because Sissy wanted him to. Yeah. And you know, I've heard of Jack in the Box, but Dog in the Box? Dog in the Box. <laughs> that to me, that whole sequence, like there was just such an uncanny quality about it because Pangborn was so like content to be doing it. And Henry was so freaked out. And I think the way that, you know, one would be. And it was just such a strange, um, like, but it felt so normal. It felt like such a thing that he does so often. And that really got under my skin. Just the idea of digging up a dead animal. Yeah, because he's probably had to do this multiple, yes. multiple times. And that to me is head- like human behavior that is just yeah. very scary. Well, but- it's also like really creepy because he, it's obviously a subtle reference to pet cemetery sure, yeah because the way that they're like oh she just wants to make sure it's still buried yeah and you know obviously knowing this is a king property and that you know there's the dead body of a of an animal buried there it's 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 you know you think of that story but it's also kind of creepy when you think like okay so this is the stephen king universe and ludlow maine is still there and pet cemetery probably exists in this world yeah so and that by, might be another legend or lore or you know she might have heard about it the town yeah exactly. and influencing her own fears as even if she's suffering dementia she might have actually thought of the pet cemetery thing and again you know having it's funny enough i did not make that connection when i was watching it because the once again the show does a really good job 
of you get invested, and I'm yeah. not looking at it like, oh, is this is this yep. a, is that a Tommy knocker? Yeah, no, I'm not <laughs> either. Like, it, it was just, I'm just like I'm not, I wasn't purposely doing that. But yeah. that's that's interesting that you thought that. It's but. just like this weird uh, concept of like, ooh, this stuff could exist. It's like right, when we always right. think about how Salem's Lot is still out there, and in this universe, it is. So, yeah. well, it serves as a as kind of a perfect example of what I was saying, what we were saying earlier, just that whole idea that. This isn't a show that's relying on references. It can make references, mm-hmm. but it's rooting them in character and story. And so I didn't make the Pet Cemetery connection yeah. right away when I yeah. saw that scene. I, was, I mean, I think I did after a few minutes, but but at the same time, it's not reliant on that. No. You know, no. the power of the scene is not reliant on that. Right. There's, so There's yeah. also, again, that, that alligator sequence is really Oh, creepy. I love it. It's and sticking it, with me. Yeah, it has really stuck with me. And it, it's, again, it's that existential dread that of, of coming right after that scene with a convict mm-hmm. uh, that still haunts me because yeah. those themes that she discusses that she discusses just have really stuck with me over the past few weeks is this idea that what if we do just move on and everything that we have just kind of gets left behind mm-hmm. like like uh, Coop's shoes in uh, Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, <laughs> another thing that creeped me out, it, it I, and I'm, I'm interested in talking about it as well, probably our next category, but uh was the scene with the kids mm-hmm. with the the masks? Uh, the scene I, I I don't know. We could talk about the scene in a second, but the detail and the care given to those masks and the kids, uh, I I kind of realized this is why people love Children of the Corn <laughs> <laughs> because like it was truly it's creepy, really creepy. Oh yeah, unsettling. I did forget and there I'm are like, those creepy. I'm like kids. what. What is going on here? They all seemed so uh, quiet and content, and and kids don't do that. So that that I think it was the, that was what was weird and creepy to me was that oh, one these, of them wants to see were, some jahubis. These though. kids jahubis, yeah. but this, just the fact that these kids were very uh, uh, you know like tame yeah. and uh, you know very matter of fact. Oh, our, you know all of our dads are our in Shawshank. All of our yeah. fathers are in Shawshank, and that was kind of like a whole another side of the town where. You have like all this, the, all of these families that are hanging around because all of their their fathers are in shock. Well, it's like it's the ripple effect, weird. which is something yeah. that King is so good at doing, and the show is really executing that. I mean, like, the, yeah, that is such a cool little like expansion of what Shawshank has done to this town. And um, if my kid, if I came out of the prison and my kid was like that, I would probably go right back into prison because I'd kill my kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, be like Brooks, you wouldn't be able to. Well, adapt. so no, yeah. but would you put that section? Would you put that scene though in our next section, which you might also recognize from our books episodes, which is called Misery? She died. She just slipped away. Slipped away. Slipped away. She didn't just slip away. You did it. 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 You murdered my mother. I wouldn't, but I felt like you would. Well, I would. <laughs> I just think you mentioned it kind of earlier, and I thought, oh, did you not like that scene? No, no. I, here's I the thing. Like so, misery. Yeah. If you're unaware, is our section where we talk about things we didn't love, but. And I don't think we'll have a ton for this because we really enjoy these first three episodes, if you couldn't tell from what we've been saying. But I will say that, don't get me wrong, I like the idea. I love masks. I love the use of the masks. I love the idea that these kids have formed a kind of um, unit where they're all sort of, you know, mutually bonding over their fathers being in prison. And that Melanie Linsky almost approaches it like it's not as weird as it is. Uh, there's something kind of creepy and strange about that. I was, I, I, I did respond to it, but it reminded me a little bit of, um, 
uh, Blumhouse's Sinister 2, the sequel, mm. which is oh, a movie yeah. that I didn't hate. I actually quite like both the first, both the Sinister movies, but that is a movie that the thing that really undoes it is it relies so hard on creepy kids. And, um, and, and then in the sequel, there is sort of this like ghost kid cult that is extremely lame. And if they're going <laughs> to do it, in this show i just i need to see what that group is and if we never see them again i might be okay with that it might be spookier that way just to know that this little group like exists under you know beneath the you know in the basements of castle rock it's a very neat idea to me yeah i i personally it felt like to me that we probably weren't going to go back to this yeah i mean we might go back to that that one kid but i don't i don't think it's going to be the crux of the show I did think it, it was it was off putting because I couldn't wrap my head around what they were actually doing. They were almost reenacting a trial. Yeah, and it seemed like everyone had their part to play, and it was rehearsed or something. So yeah, that, that's what was really weird because you had these kids so dedicated, and these are really little kids. Yeah, that were dedicated so much so to to putting on this like mock trial. Uh, maybe one of one of their fathers. I, mean, I don't know. That, that was just yeah. really weird. It was just off-putting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I wouldn't file under misery, but it was the one time where I felt like it was kind of cliche horror. It was straining. Uh, yeah. It, 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 yeah, yeah, it was like straining towards horror. I, I agree with you, Mac, that I like that aspect of it. The fact yeah. that it felt like they were playing roles, but it was almost as kind of like, here's some creepy shit for you. Yeah. But I also think if Molly hadn't acted the way she did, if she was truly terrified and all this stuff, it would have been really cliche. Agreed. Yeah. The fact Agreed. that she just treated it like, all right, kids, like, let's go. Like, <laughs> yeah. where's my fucking oxy? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, 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 it didn't, it didn't get there for me to, to be that. But I'm trying to. I'm racking my brain here to th- I think got of one. something that I didn't really like. What made you miserable? I, I thought that they could have come up with a better name than Jackie Torrance. Yeah, that's pretty lame. You know, like maybe you know, like even like you know, Maggie would have been better, <laughs> or like, yeah. or even just like you know, like um, I don't know, like Mildred. Well, see, this is Mildred a Mildred Torrance. This is a case of. It feels like it's a reference for references. Sake. Yes. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I, I know have some, I have some two thirty seven on that. We but, don't know yet. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing is like I, and I. That's the thing is we're a little premature. That's why I feel like I'm a little premature for misery right now because I'm giving a lot of things that maybe I was a little bit eh, about a past because it really could you know end up being awesome. Yeah. So so yeah, I don't have a lot either. I think that um, if I have anything, it's kind of I just wish that I wish that. Not everybody in Castle Rock was a corrupt, yeah. be creepy. Yeah. You know, like we see a little bit like, you know, Molly's sister seems like a normal person. I just want a few maybe more normal people that yeah. we can um, that can at least ground us a little bit because I feel like Andre Holland's character sort of needs that right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that they and I think that we will. I think we'll see some other characters here and there that are just kind of like normal folks. Um but yeah, in terms of something I didn't like, ugh, I don't know. I don't really have. There's nothing that really sticks out like a sore thumb to no. me. Um, and that's a good thing. That is and, a good and thing. No, yeah. I mean, if if I can think of something, it'll come up. But uh, I'll tell you something that did stick out like a sore thumb, though. What? All the references <laughs> that us losers could decipher and pull out. That's true. Where? In King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Welcome to King's Dominion. You may know this section from 
the Losers Club's million other episodes. This is when we talk about the larger world of King, the interconnected universe uh, of the Dark Tower and the beams and the beam of the rat, your favorite beam. Ooh, gotta love that rat. And uh, Rizzo the rat. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so but there's a lot to talk about here, but we're going to start by talking about the opening credits because those are those alone are rife with just King references. So who wants to break down the opening credits for us? Uh, well, I'm not sure if this is the order in which we see these items, yeah. but I, I did write down well, at least what I saw, and you guys could fill in the blanks. Um, the first the thing was, I mean, obviously it's pulling chapters and, and, and items and words yeah. from the from actual King books. But so far, I think it's good to, to know because a lot of this stuff or characters or lore is being focused or pulled from uh, these items. Uh, we've got They All Float, Georgie. Obviously, that's in reference to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they focus on chapter 19 at some yeah. point. Uh, we've got Cujo in there. Do they mention Cujo directly? Well, they talk about uh, in the, the newspaper clippings. Oh, that they right, have. right, yeah. right. Um, I think they focus on the words red rum. So we know that they are incorporating yeah. the shining in some way, shape, or form into this. How or why? Yeah. I don't Jackie know. Jackie Torrance. Well, right, right. <laughs> but it's like, We've yet to see why yeah, or, or yeah. how blatant they're going to be with that reference. Um, and then the Green Mile with the yeah. two dead girls. Uh, I, there's a mention of Dolores Claiborne. Um, I think at one point, which is really fun, they they, they show uh, the numbers uh, 237 and 217, and one of them's crossed That's out. cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that was kind of like a fun nod. That's to, a cool nod. Uh, yeah. To uh, the Shining film. Mm-hmm. So... Mike might get his wish that maybe they're maybe they're going to pull that in too. I'm sure King's like really thrilled about that. Yeah, like, um, well, we're huge fans of the. Kubrick those are version. the only things that I noticed from the opening credits. Did you guys pick up on any it's other? A pretty good rundown. That was the majority of what good. I yeah. saw. Yeah. I think I think if if our listeners see anything else or any little Easter eggs, definitely. Let oh, us of know. course. Yeah. Fortunately, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's or the right. tip of the rock. Very true. <laughs> because that's just the opening credits. We have three <laughs> fucking episodes full of references. Yeah. And I want to say, uh, I think the first reference is uh, seeing Alan Pangborn. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Right out the gate. We we're see like, we're like, oh my God. Pangborn. We're like, oh wow. Well, yeah. So there's like the big ones. We have yeah. Alan Pangborn is there. We yeah. see warden norton from shawshank on the wall at shawshank yeah, prison also blatantly mentioned like oh and and here you can see the bullet hole from warden norton yeah like they yeah mentioned that in yeah. the, in the, in the which is great episode yeah and so we get a lot of that we also um but i think sort of i think maybe it's, it's helpful to talk about i believe it's in the second episode that we see that henry stumbles across like a folder of allen's that yeah. is filled with newspaper clippings and in all of those we see the dark half we see like the events mentioned in that it's actually not even no it's it's uh it's, it's not Lacey's. The it's uh because he's going through the house at uh oh at, yes at you're house. right my bad yeah so he's he's going through so the warden has been keeping tabs on all yes. these other things which makes me maybe that's the connective tissue to yeah pangborn actually yeah. uh because yeah yeah he has like uh they have the the store opening with needful mm-hmm. things yep needful things uh they mentioned the the killings that yep. are going on for the dead zone uh, they talk about uh, the obviously the dog, yeah, and they also mention the idea of the dog too because the opening, um, the opening narration from Lacey in the second episode references you might know the town because of the dog yep. that that attacked, and then he also proceeds to talk about the the fall that his brother committed suicide 
was after the summer where they found the body on the side of the tracks, which yep. is a reference to, to, stand you know, to the Stand By Me or, slash or the, body. the Body. Yeah. yeah. From different seasons. Yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, we I mean, get sort of like a blast of all of them there. And yeah. that's what I like is that they're all framed as these were real things that happened. The books are canon. Mm-hmm. And also, they are all connected in sort of an overarching narrative that is independent of the villains of those stories that there is something else that ti- that binds them all together that isn't just Leland Gaunt that isn't just Frank Dodd etc cetera, etc cetera. that there is something in this town that has drawn these things and that's I think sort of the real function of the Dominion here and I guess I'm intrigued because I feel like those things were all thrown in very early these mm-hmm. weren't Easter eggs that's yeah. kind of the thing is they're not Easter eggs so much as they're essential plot points and that's what we get whereas I think I feel like um, um, you know, maybe the bullet hole, the mention of the bullet hole from Shawshank is sort of a an Easter egg. You know, that's something you get if you know it. Right. But um, but regardless, even if you don't, if you haven't read the books, when you see that folder filled with all the events, that is a plot point. That is, this is a town that has been rife with tragedy. And what's interesting about all of these little throwbacks and things is it, it, they're treating it very much like like the Star Wars universe now, like. Yes, all of these things happen, and yes, we're, ref- we're, we're, we're talking about all of these places and books in the opening credits, but whether or not any of that's actually going to show up, we don't know. And like they're able to pull, like we know that this is directly tied to the film Shawshank Redemption because we see the picture of Warden Norton mm-hmm. on the wall. But in turn, and we've talked about the, we've talked about the Strangler, we've talked about Cujo, but they haven't actually talked or shown pictures from that movie itself so whether it's tied to the film or the book events we don't know which way they're going with it Mm -hmm. like Shawshank obviously is very tied to the book I mean to the movie events rather than the book so I think that that's that's kind of interesting yeah um so uh also uh, another another thing that was mentioned in the in or a place that they frequent is the Mellow Tiger yes which pops up in a bunch of Castle Rock stories yeah yeah, and I love that because it's cool to see that place come to life because that and that place especially plays like a really cool role in um, Needful Things. So, yeah, I just think that it's cool that they're actually embracing the geography and sort of the the locations of the town as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like that there was probably a great deal of care taken to uh, like when the creators were rereading the books to sort of try to recreate some of the landmarks of the town as well, which yeah. I think is really cool. Yeah. So. I mean, uh, I honestly can't think of too many other ones that are going on right now. I mean, like they're the only other big one I can think of, which was kind of cool and 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 really had to know, is that Molly talks about and in, in the local color that uh, one of the main things that they're they're thinking about doing is putting in a new gazebo. Yeah, which is interesting. If you've read the Dead Zone, there's some mm-hmm. <laughs> some definitely some deaths and something happens to that gazebo. Probably why it was removed in the first place because they didn't want to be reminded of it. So it's kind of like that's an interesting little throwback to that and as a well. Teaser that's not going to be the only uh, throwback to the Dead Zone that you're going to be. Yeah, sure. Stay or, tuned. Uh, Frank Dodd. But yeah. Any other King's Dominion or shall we move on to Room 237 where we I, are going to predict I, the future? Yeah, because I think there would, I think we'd like to leave it to some of the listeners to point them out too. Because I think yeah. that's going to be a lot of fun for them to be able to come and say, hey, did you see this? Hey, did you see that? So uh, most definitely. We'll leave it to you know, some of them to bring it out. Yes. So let's creak open that door to Room 237, but don't look in the bathroom because there's something in the tub. <laughs> I think a lot of things happen right here. In this particular hotel over the years. And not all of them was good. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's my I, rubber ducky. Before we get into the, to our actual theories of what might happen, uh, I did think it was funny. I noticed in episode two when Lacey's talking about all the terrible things that happened at his own home, and they show like the body in the tub, and then mm-hmm. they show this guy kind of sitting downstairs like watching TV. They pan around him, and and on the table is a is a uh, wooden sculpture of a bear. And I thought, hmm, shardish, shardish. <laughs> uh, so Interesting. That, that was my only real reach for two three seven. But um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about like where we think this is going and what's happening. I want to hear your Jackie Torrance. Okay, two three seven. I have a theory that it's Danny's daughter. It's the only, you know, a lot of people have been tossing around, like, oh, it's like a cousin or a distant relative or something like that. But I honestly think it's Danny's daughter and that he could possibly be a character down the road. Wow. So, Bold you know, statement. Which is something big because obviously Dr. Sleep yeah. is in rotation. But I don't know. I just think it's odd that, like, I mean, I don't think the Torrance thing is a throwaway. Uh, reference. I really don't because I think that would just be too pandering and too easy. It would feel out of well, place yes. in this world. And in like honestly, they had to find a way to get the Torrances here because it's one of the, it's the very rare iconic story of Kings that has nothing that, that's not in Maine really. Yeah, you know, it takes place I think in what Vermont and then Colorado. Yeah, so you know you have those two things, and I I think that's just a way for her to kind of draw in that power of the shining and maybe she has it i don't know but I, so i don't think that she does i think that yeah. i mean we definitely knew that they were going to bring in the shining we were like why it doesn't make sense but um i think that that, that could be true yeah. you know it would make sense why her name is fucking jackie uh, uh, after jack but wouldn't Torres, you say yeah. that you know? molly has the shining yeah right. i would agree but that's why i think maybe those characters if she starts to realize that she has that maybe she'll be like yeah and she might half half mention yeah, well, my father had you know, dealt with something similar. Or but maybe she already has, I, I, because they, they seem to be getting along pretty well. Right, so. true. But but she but she does stray from telling her, you know, she, she clearly is, like, having issues and doesn't want to go into it, the depths of it with her in the basement. So yeah. I, I, think, I don't think she knows everything. Yeah, yet. that's true. That's but a I good think point. That, that would be a good way of bringing her character in as someone that maybe has, like, dealt with that before. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hope, I really don't want, Danny to show up. I don't want it to be <laughs> that connected. I don't even know. I haven't read Dr. Sleep, but does Danny have a, a girl? Does he have a daughter? Mm, I haven't read it. No. Um, there is a young girl in the book um, who's not his daughter, but it becomes kind of a surrogate daughter kind of situation. Oh, uh, so, But hey. if it, if this is like Jack's brother who named it after his, you know, his dead brother, like I mean, he's like, oh, my brother died in an accident at a hotel. I'm going to name my daughter Jackie. Whatever. You know, it's fine. I agree with you, though, Mike. I feel like it's got to mean something. I just don't know what yet. It's such a blatant, aggressive reference. I think uh, by episode eight, all of a sudden, we're going to have a strange car that rolls into town. Christine. uh, (laughs) It could be driving Christine. But behind the wheel is going to be Jack Nicholson. (laughs) Prizing his role as... He's like, I just got back from my trip to L.A. He's got his Lakers gear on. I love it. It's like, uh, get me a drink. That's going to be his line. No, but uh, I I don't think that Jack Torrance is going to be going back. And I really hope that's not the case. Uh, although I'd love to see Jack Nicholson now reprise his role uh, from there. It's like, I didn't freeze. Oh, but. you know, something I forgot to mention uh, that was definitely, I, I felt, was was uh, a king, king's dominion, was when Molly has the dream at the church. Mm. Uh, it's It's like a funeral for someone. 
And then all of a sudden, everyone in the pews looks like the priest with the shrouded heads. It's very Dream silver cycle bullet, of the very cycle of the werewolf. Yeah, yeah. Dream I can see sequence. that. Yeah, I and can I thought see that. that was a cool little nod, yeah. especially because Terry O'Quinn was in that. Well, also, uh, especially since uh, Dan Adius is involved in the series, and you might know that name from. Silver Bullet that you well, just didn't mentioned. He, wait, wait. Didn't he direct the third episode? <laughs> I'm almost well, positive he did. And that was in the third episode. That so would, he might have been just be blatantly little, referencing uh, Silver Bullet. That's even better. <laughs> I didn't even make that connection. I'm, yeah, I'm like, like 90% sure he directed the third episode because I remember seeing the name when I was watching it. I hope I hope Stanley Kubrick directs the eighth episode. <laughs> I think he but, does. But I'll say that um, I guess the thing that I'm really thinking about is I'm wondering if the place where Henry disappeared to when he was young and wherever it is that uh, Bill Skarsgård is from. I'm wondering if it's going to be a kind of a dark tower situation. Is it a territory situation? Is it that they are flipping between dimensions? Are there other worlds than these gunslinger? I want to know if like that's where they went, especially Bill Skarsgård, the whole idea of not aging I mean, that's something we were talking about with Mrs. Todd Shortcut on Skeleton Crew is this whole idea that... That is a Castle Rock story, too. Yeah. Like, when you flip, um, at least in Mrs. Todd Shortcut, you become younger, you know, in a way. Like, it's it it, it, it has an effect on your aging. Uh. And so I'm intrigued by Bill Skarsgård asking uh, Henry, how many years old are you? Yeah. And he's, you know, that to me is very, very interesting. Yeah, because time moves slowly in other places as well. That could be, uh, that could be a part of it. I, so here's my fan theory. I think, I think there's, there's like a thinny. I think there's a breaking, a breaking point between, between worlds uh, in, the, in the middle of Castle Lake. And that only in winter, when it's frozen, were, was someone able because you can't pangborn pangborn hears and i remember in the, in the, in, the, in the dark tower books whenever there's a thinny around you can it, there's like you they have to s- literally stuff uh oh, shells yeah. in their ears yeah. to drown out the noise and the weird noise that's being made because it's like calling to them and i feel like that's what pangborn hears in the beginning when he hears that weird noise right before henry shows up yeah he that's hears a good like point a weird noise out and about and, and then all of a sudden, Henry's there out of out of nowhere in yeah. the middle of the lake. And what does uh, Bill Skarsgård say to him? Do you hear it? Yeah. Right, do, which can, is a reference to what his his father, the pre, well, his stepfather, the, uh, yeah, his foster father, the preacher, was saying in the yeah. woods to him when he was t- taking him through the woods. He was like, "Do you hear it?" Yeah. So I think there might. I think there's a thenny or something. It might not be the uh, a thenny like outright. Yeah. But I think there is some kind of you know, pathway to another world. Definitely. So, so you're saying that Idris Elba is going to be in this. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they're like, well, well we decided to now, reboot the series. Now, if this was on Amazon, I would be like, oh, very cool, because right. it would be a connected a connection, a direct connection. I was going to say, like, what if but Amazon no. and Hulu came together on this one? Well, the oh, problem wow. is, yeah, is that, okay, intense. so Warner Brothers has a shitload of of licenses for Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, The Shining, It, uh, all the Castle Rock productions. We've outlined them all in the past. Yeah. Uh, they also have Carrie, which is why I think uh, Ruth Beaver is going <laughs> to be the psychic I'm girl. Gonna... Um, I, But no, but I, The Dark Tower is not one of them. So it's, I wonder how, if they can do that and they can get away with it, you know? I mean, yeah, they I might don't... just not call it a thinny. Yeah. Right. They just don't, yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. That, that is the a license to say, well, you that's can't a great say there's another though. world, another place to another world. Yeah. Like, I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's that, that one makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I just also think it could possibly be, uh, Cooge. <laughs> just all of it. 
everything that's going on. Well, yeah, and, he, and took, he took. He took. You know, he was eating the kid. And he's I like, don't, I don't want him. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna lay this out there right now. This is a little bit of a spoiler for the Dark Tower series. Yeah. So if you haven't read the Dark Tower books and you haven't read the last book, just jump to the next section. But um, I kind of started thinking that the boy, that the kid, was similar to one of the most shoehorned <laughs> characters into the Dark Tower. It was that the kid they find in Patrick the Patrick Danville? Oh, yeah. From yeah. Insomnia? That, yeah. That, that is who that is, and that he's not evil, but there's, he's very powerful, and... Uh, Give him a pen and paper, see what happens. And that may, yeah, exactly. So I, I kind of thought maybe that's, maybe that's what's going on. But it, this had such a leap. I, I, have no, I have no clue, but that's what's so great is that we have a bunch of episodes. And honestly, I kind of hope we don't find out any of this by the end of the season because if this no, is going to be multiple either. seasons, well, it's an anthology. Got to draw this out. It's an anthology. It's going oh, so to be different. It's going to be different stories in Castle Rock every season. Well, perfect. Then they've got what five, six episodes to wrap it up. Well, no. Which well, means everything's going to be. They've got seven episodes. Yeah. Too. Well, yeah. Which means it's going to be very a very tight season. Yeah. I think. Uh, and I'm really excited to see the rest of this. Well, I just hope that I'm intrigued by the whole, I guess this is a little bit of a room two, three, seven, but I hope that with the anthology aspect of it, which I think is smart. I do hope though, that we get some character crossover. Like if it's going to take place in castle rock, you can't just get rid of certain characters. You know what I mean? Well, I, yeah, there's definitely going to be some character crossover from other stories. Well, it depends on schedules. Yeah. Is Scott Glenn doing another? Uh, um, wait, oh, what's you're the? Saying, what, you're oh, saying another leftover future, season. You're yeah, saying, right. You're saying in future seasons. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I'm interested if they're going to go like the Fargo route, where it's going to be like a story from that happens in the 80s. Oh yeah, you know good what I mean, point. I don't know if good they're going to like jump. But time. even then, though, I mean, like it's like King's like Castle Rock stories span decades. Yeah. So it's like, uh, like maybe we'll see, maybe the next season will be a more shining esque thing. And we see Jackie as a little girl. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like, I don't know. Yeah. I think, so I'm not putting any of that out. Like that, that could definitely happen. I love yeah. the freedom of it. Yeah, I do too. Right. I mean, there's a lot of theories that you can kind of just make about the actual franchise itself now. Yeah. You know, like where, I mean, it could be an anthology thing or, it doesn't get resolved and we just keep pulling the threads of this town. And well, that's the thing is I feel like in, I remember in one of the previews, like uh, Terry O'Quinn's narration kind of hinted back that this goes back like hundreds of years. So I feel like another season could be like, you know, an 1800 story in Castle Rock, which could be, I would love to see yeah. like, yeah, like a story where Castle Rock is this fledgling town, like a like a like an almost like an ancient tale. Yeah, <laughs> where yeah. where where Castle Rock actually starts and where does it get its its awfulness from? You know? I guess my problem with that would be that you would now be preceding King's works, mm-hmm. and I would want him involved if they were doing that. Well, who's to say King doesn't come in to do a story? Uh, you know, yeah. If well, don't you want to really see well, how it, Cooch was born? I do. I want to <laughs> see Baby Cooch. <laughs> I mean, he, he's got a, a producing credit on this. I don't know. I'm mean, obviously not super involved, but I yeah. think that if he, if the, if you know, if this does well and he wants to, he, he has an idea after watching the show and is like, Hey, maybe this next season or this season could do this. And here's the story for it. And write up a little brief story. I mean, you know, why not? Why not pull from the man himself? You know? Yeah. Um, uh, he's too busy writing crime novels. Hey. Okay? Oh God. He's too busy writing. He's, he's too busy uh, uh, taking over as head writer on Bosch. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, um, I think we're going to have a lot more theories oh, in the definitely, next, you know, the definitely. next episodes. So I think on that note, it's time to move on to our final thoughts. Now, don't give me any arguments. The ice is going to break. You know, what the, you know what time it is, uh, listeners? It is time to break out those bright wed Pennywise White clown noses. Web. White Wed Pennywise Clown Woses. Clown Woses. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm for these first three episodes. I mean, I'm, I'm just really excited about it. I'm totally. very happy with where it's at. I'm gonna give it four bright red Pennywise Clown Woses because uh, I feel like it's ripe for potential. I hope that it um, keeps going. I love the potential of the story. I love the world. I love the characters. I'm very, very in on this, Mac. Yeah, having watched them back to back, it's hard to break it up each episode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna round it up too, uh-huh. and I'm gonna give it uh, for me. I'm gonna give it a, a, a four and a half. Whoa! Bright red yeah. Pennywise clown noses, and if if it wasn't for that one thing that I didn't really like, which I can't think of, that's why I get four and a half. But I know it wasn't it wasn't a, a home run for me. Like there was something missing and i think that's that's good though i think that it has it's going to be a cohesive thing that at the end of this it, it, i'm thinking i want to give it five you know what i mean like once i see the entire series like oh that's now it's there it's pushed it over the top you know what i mean yeah. so uh a four and a half bright red pennywise clown noses i'm really excited about it i'm ex- i'm also very excited to see who else might show up Cooch. Um, whether it's char- whether it's character or even or even actors, I mean, we've got Terry O'Quinn, we've got Sissy Spacek showing back up. Are there other uh, you know king uh, king uh, veterans that are going to show up? You yeah. know, I, I, just give me William Sadler. Sometime. I know I was going to say where's William Sadler. Sadler? Look, you know, just I, I, like, I already called it. It's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> 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 He's pulling up. I'm telling you. He's gonna drive it's in. Me. What do Jack. you think? And, do you, and, and before Where's the before, ball game, <laughs> before you give your noses, I just want to ask you one question: Do you think that the Shaggy DA is related to Cujo? I do. Do you think that's like they're like, oh, that's that's the runt of the litter of Cujo's <laughs> kids? I think he's the. He's he, not even the same I think he's. I, well, think I think he's. But I think we will see a. Sp- I think we will see a spinoff show called Cujo's Kids. <laughs> Cujo's Kids would be fun <laughs> for all the. It's a children's show to trying to get to that market. Well, they all like talk to each other and you know bark for him. I like the idea that that would be uh, Cujo's spiritual good side. You know, this nice lovable oh, dog, like a yin and the yang. Yeah. Yeah. We're just creating this mythology for Cujo. No. Well, it is a strange image that you know before Lacey goes well, off and cuts his head off, he's, he sees this like nice little dog. I gotta say, I had a conversation with JJ. And oh he really? Said, yeah, and he said he's like, "Look, uh, he Mac, said, I'm busy with episode he said, Guys, nine. I'm really excited about your podcast. I think you guys have done some great things." I'm really, but what, the one thing that he was fixated on was Nickel Stupid, and he was like, "I gotta sh- tell you, I've got a Nickel Stupid of our own, and, and it's, it's the Shaggy DA, Takujo, <laughs> the Shaggy DA." I, you know, well, I got he's a, a big Disney fan. Yeah, yeah. I uh, he did actually invite me out to Bad Robot Ranch, and um, I uh, I think that you know you guys would have been jealous because he actually gave me some cool shirts. Uh, oh really? Me, what, what's on the shirt? Well, it was a Last Jedi shirt, and I was really uh, curious uh. about this because I didn't understand why it wasn't a Force Awakens shirt because that's the one he directed. And he said, uh, "I don't want this shirt because I didn't direct this movie." <laughs> so I said, "I'll take it off your hands." But uh, no, he actually gave me some cool little uh, Castle Rock merch, which I'll give you guys afterwards. And uh, he had a, we had a really good time and a good chat. Awesome. I'm not double crossing my friend here, so I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> oh, you don't want to spoil it. No. So JJ gave you all the, all the spoils, and you. I know this everything good? about. I know exactly where this show is going. 
I do. Okay, all right. That's fine. Yeah, why don't you keep, ask me you a know, question? Keep your secrets. Ask me a question, I'll keep tell you. Keep your secrets, uh, because uh, that's where I like to be, in the, in the mystery, uh, the murk, uh, the mist. I, I, I could tell you one thing that he, he told me I could, I could leak out. What? Uh, he that said that, that the show is starting t- tomorrow. <laughs> well, he, well, he said he said the show is premiering July twenty fifth, and I said JJ, everyone knows that. Tell me something that I don't know, and he goes, I'll tell you one thing. After I'm done with episode nine, uh, and after uh, Harrison's done with uh, with uh, Indy five, we're doing regarding two. Re- oh, regarding Henry two. Oh yeah, yeah. He's gonna get dementia again. Oh, uh, oh, it's gonna be the reverse where he's and now he's gonna forget everything he he the, relearned exactly. And That's he's, awful. And he's gonna start eating Ritz crackers again. Anyway, you've been asking for it, viewers. Yeah, you've got a regarding Henry two. <laughs> we got a regarding Henry. You know what? Too. It's sad. Is like I would eat that up. Oh, totally. Because I love that movie, and I always forget that JJ wrote that. <laughs> and I always forget that Hans Zimmer did an amazing score for it, uh, mm. which reminds me of the '90s and being at my dad's house because. Because my parents had separated. I'm going to go to my Pennywise rankings. Let's hear it. And I'm going four and a half also. Ooh. I think this is Ooh. the most exciting use of Stephen King lore since the golden era of Frank Darabont. When Frank Darabont was able to prove that there's you know, a dramatic side to Stephen King. Even though Rob Reiner technically hey, Rob did that Reiner with did that. Uh, Stand By Me. But they kind of really couched his name on that one as it's well. It's true. It's true. But uh, with, with with this one, God, it's just so exciting, not only just for this, but for storytelling in Hollywood as, in, in general. You know, like, we, we haven't really mentioned it here, but this also kind of reminds me a lot of Cobra Kai, oh. where you're able to take a lot of source material and just stretch it to something that's totally different and totally new, and yet still be reverent to the actual source material. And so I think this is really exciting for what sequels can be without being a sequel like you know you are sequelizing here but you're not like right you're totally taking it to another level and for an industry that is so indebted to ip that's exciting because this feels original and this feels fresh and obviously if this wasn't stephen king related this probably wouldn't be made it would just be well, what the hell is this right you know? but so it's it's exciting to me and honestly like this really does feel like we're reading a stephen king novel yeah and you know we're three episodes in, and this is a total page turner for me. I'm dying to get the next few episodes. Um, what dreams may come. What dreams may come indeed. Well, viewers, on that note, that's our first episode on Castle Rock, the series. We're going to be back next week to talk about episode four. And by then, our film festival will be done. And uh, it will have been a major success, and we'll have missed you <laughs> if you did not make it out. So please... Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, on Facebook. Please follow us on social media platforms. Please subscribe to other Consequence of Sound podcast network, including This Must Be the Gig, Halloweenies, State of the Empire, and Filmography, Discography. There's so many good ones. So many good ones. And you should subscribe to all of them. You can find them all on Consequence of Sound. Uh, so I guess as we uh, file out into the, into the deep, deep night, long days, and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. Nice.
Consequence Podcast Network.